Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 167. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined again by my sons, Chris Raygun. Chris, now it's a little weird yeah. because you're in Maddie's space. <laughs> so it's like you're an Android. Maybe you are a computer program. You're like that sexy. What was that? The Toshiba or Samsung chick everyone was interested in? Oh, yeah. This yeah, past yeah. summer. Sam. You're, the Samsung Sam. girl. Yeah. She was yeah. cute. Yeah, she that wasn't yeah. bad. Yeah. No. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm in Maddie's space because my obviously like I've moved, but my stuff hasn't arrived yet, which would be fine if I didn't pack up my mic like an idiot. <laughs> I have like well, literally everything else except the mic. So I was like, uh, you know, and Maddie and I live pretty close. So it worked out, you know? Yeah, I was going to say. So, I mean, we'll get into this more deep, deeply in a minute. But was it true that you guys discovered that you went to the same high school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that insane? And you were I found there at him- the same time. We he was two years under two, me, so there, there would be right. no real reason for us to have right. interacted. But like I found, uh, I found him in our in our yearbook, and it was it was pretty funny. That's hysterical. <laughs> I think that that's that's awesome. Small world. I love that kind of stuff when yeah. that when that happens. Well, Chris, good to see you. Welcome, and uh, of course, my other son, Dustin Furman, executive producer of Last Stand Media. How is your life? How are you feeling? 
I'm feeling great. I'm feeling rested and recovered. We had a couple nights there with uh, very little sleep and uh, a lot of a lot of talking. Man, I think that's the thing I didn't anticipate overall. But mm. my voice, I've I've recovered. I feel rejuvenated. We have a hell of an episode today. Damn, I can feel yeah. it. It's gonna be good. Yeah. So I agree. So first of all, to acknowledge what Dustin was saying, we just did our live show in western pennsylvania it was awesome i'm curious to see what you guys think of it but and maybe we'll do like a post-mortem i don't know we have to do one internally but i thought it would be fun to do it with everyone or some people do it publicly and, and get people's feedback because i've been already corresponding with dozens of people on patreon privately about their feedback but i thought the show was extraordinary and i let dustin and ben know i just let ben know yesterday although i'm gonna write everyone letters and stuff soon because i'm sentimental like that but i'm real proud of everyone I feel like it it all went off without a hitch, whether it was the organization, whether it was the content, whether it was everyone getting there and the planning and all that. It was awesome. And of course, everyone was so nice. Hundreds of people came out to hang out with us, of course, the first night for the show. And then the second day, probably even more people to meet us at the park. And we basically just set up. We just sat at some tables. Everyone kind of came down. We signed. We spent five hours at the meet and greet spending as much time as everyone wanted to with us. I never, I didn't rush anyone along or anything like that. So it was an incredible day. Chris, what did you uh, think about our experiences at our first of what will definitely be more live shows? Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was so cool. Like, um, I've had, you know, I probably not as much experience as you have with like kind of funny and like IGN and all that stuff, but like I've gone to VidCon and like I've met fans and stuff like that. And it's, it's always cool to like speak to people who like watch you and like, you know, have their own, feedback to give you but it's it's a different thing when people like buy a ticket to see you you know that's that's such a different vibe and i feel like i feel like it went great like i had so much fun i i'm really psyched to do like more of these you know it was like really invigorating i agree i felt a lot of good energy it's kind of sad but i guess i'll just verbalize it I think after what happened, so I've always had this thing in my life where I've, I've never really felt like I belonged with anything, right? I don't know why that is. I, I think it's just because I bounced around a lot, especially when my parents got divorced. You know, I lived on Long Island until fourth grade, and then I lived in New England for five years in Maine and New Hampshire. I'd go home to Long Island, but I'd be in New England, and then then I came home to Long Island again. Then I lived in Boston for five years. Then I lived in San Francisco. Then I lived in LA. It's, now I'm in Virginia. I just never really felt like I had a, you know, like when you meet people and they're like, this is my, these are my people for like 30 years, or this is my squad or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I felt like especially after what happened at IGN and kind of funny with me when I basically just lost everyone for no reason. I was like, well, I can't really put myself out there again. I can't. I felt like I actually belonged to something and then it was taken away from me. And this was the first day where I was or first time where I was like, you know what? I am part of something new and maybe expose myself and make myself a little bit more vulnerable to that notion. And so that was a really eye opening thing to me, not only with the crowd, of course, but with all of us being together for the first time. Dagan was there. Maddie and Cog, the three of us. Yeah. Micah. So. That was a, that was a really fun thing for me. And of course, to watch Dustin and Ben execute on it so well, I thought was really quite extraordinary as well. Dustin, what was your takeaway being that it was in your hometown? Yeah, it went off so incredibly well. It was I, I was telling people that it was like it was awesome on on many levels. Like, obviously, we were so happy that everyone came out. Everyone who was there had a, a fantastic time. There was no major issues which is just you know awesome yeah. we we made everything came together but i feel like one of the biggest impacts that it's going to have is on us 
as a team. And I was talking to you, Chris, and uh, I liked what you said because you're like, this is really good for morale. Not that we're like soldiers, like fighting a war. And it's not that morale was low. Yeah. But I feel like everyone has, I don't want to speak for everybody, at least for me and some of the people I talk to, we have a new renewed perspective on the company, on each other. And I feel like it's going to show in the content going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. And um, yeah, I had a really great time. It was humbling. Like when I came out to that thunderous applause, it was like, I was like, wow, I forgot about this. You almost forget that. I mean, you know, inherently, but you forget that there are people that really like you on the other side. And in some way, I try to encapsulate it in my own mind by saying, like, there are people I would go out of my way to go see like this. So it's not that extraordinary. And they would be random folks. Yeah. That I would go see. It wouldn't be like big stars, which we aren't, of course. So we're glad everyone had fun. I have a couple of inquiries here I thought were funny. Joseph. Lacino wrote in and said, let's get down to business with the most important question related to last week's live show was your Winnie the Pooh ass big swinging dick and balls all over Dustin's childhood room in Sonic's face. Thanks. So he's referencing a Twitter post that I put up of which I slept at Dustin's house and Dustin, what I presume is Dustin's childhood bedroom. It is. And hanging on like a plant hook on the ceiling was just a, a Sonic face. <laughs> and so I, I took a video of it, like scroll, you know, zooming in on it from and it was watching me. Now, I have to admit that I actually didn't go Winnie the Pooh in the bed. I don't know why, probably because I was so drunk when I went to bed, I think at least two of the times that I just, <laughs> that I, I just kind of, you know, phased out. But interesting being in your room, I won't tell you what else went on in that room. Oh but, boy. But you know, something, some other things went on in that room as well. Bless you. Thanks. Uh, Chris. So no, I didn't have my Winnie the Pooh, Xi Jinping thing going on with my my big dick <laughs> hanging out but brandon wrote in and said hey boys funny story for you guys i met and took a picture with all of you at the meet and greet on sunday and it was a great time however upon looking at the pictures later that day i noticed that my fly was very clearly and openly down in each and every picture i'd like to think you all knew and just didn't tell me regardless it was great meeting you all and i hope you take comfort knowing my exposed crotch will forever be a part of lsm lore it definitely will be i didn't notice that i would have said something to you if i did i pretty chronically check my fly because and you that feeling you get one in a thousand checks where it's actually down and then you quickly like zip it up. I feel yeah. like it's another one of those things. You know how I always say it's your turn to be that guy, whether you're tripping on the street or like, you know, fumbling around. I feel like the the fly down thing is another one of those things. Sometimes it's your turn. Yeah. And sometimes right. the fly is going to be down. So, yeah. so I didn't I didn't notice yeah, this sorry. young man's this young man's fly. I mean, you could he could crop the pictures, make them waste up, but. I feel like now that it's wrote, wrote into the show, it is part of LSM lore. So he's got to he's got to own it at this point. I agree. Yeah. I mean, there was no way. We, I, I feel like even if like 20 percent of the people there had their flies down, I still don't think I would have noticed because like there's so much <laughs> going on at like these types of things that just like you're definitely not, you know, honing in on everybody's crotch. You know, it's like one of the last <laughs> things you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, that's scoping out dudes, dudes, <laughs> cocks at this event but not at that yeah, event. sometimes you notice i'm sorry what would you I say said not at that event no not at this not at this particular juncture but yeah i i've always been horrified see what i'm really horrified of is and i'll just be straight frank with you is i'm, I'm horrified of the zipper being down and the dick popping out oh because like that's possible it definitely can happen you you're wearing boxer sometimes your dick pops out so why wouldn't why wouldn't those two things combine 
That's like one in like what every like that's like one in five hundred million. <laughs> like I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine that that's happened at least once this year. To be honest, that's such an insane amount of like the amount of things that have to go wrong for that to happen, <laughs> not intentionally. You know, mm. like it's insane. How many people do you think have their zipper down and don't know it right now? It's got to be tens of thousands, probably, right? Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah, certainly. in the world, but yeah. no more than a hundred thousand. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I would agree. Some people probably are have their flies down and are also like going commando at the same time. You have to imagine there's a few right. thousand of them. They right. just remove the the barrier completely. So that's just that's just barbarism, though. Like I can't, we can't, I can't, yeah. I can't abide by that. No, it's dangerous, and I also. I feel like that would let you know quicker if your fly was down because you'd feel the breeze, you'd feel some sort of air yeah. pocket coming on in. But thanks for writing in, Brandon. Sorry that you're uh, you were nearly exposed. But thank you again for everyone coming out. We'll put that up soon on YouTube in the coming weeks. We had a professionally shot and all of that. And so that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, of course, Sacred Symbols Plus continues on. We just did an episode. Actually, Dustin, you want to tell a little bit uh this is an interesting episode you did with uh, Jimmy Champagne, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So my friend, uh, my friend Jimmy from uh, PS Ready, which is a great channel you guys should check out. We talked about a video he did uh, with his colleague Austin Evans about the new PS5 having a different heatsink. A lot of pretty uh, interesting reactions to this video. Some people, or this episode and the video, some people not so down with it but here's what i would say i mean it the whole episode overall is about ps like the state of ps5 hardware and i think some people miss that so i would recommend checking it out uh and i think i still stand by everything we said in the video there's like this whole controversy now about like well actually the new ps5's cooling is better it just all seems to be uh quite a mess but it was a fun episode to do i recommend checking it out and uh checking out our friend Jimmy, he was hanging out this weekend with us, flew in from from California to hang out. So that was cool. Yeah, cool. I had met him years ago at IGN for the first time. He's a he's a nice guy. And yeah, I was really glad to have that kind of hardware centric episode again, just similar to what we did with Tom at Moore's Law is Dead recently, just because I can't personally speak to that stuff. And it's still very relevant to the audience. And I think this weekend I'll be doing or I guess maybe right after this publishes like a kind of an examination of the first party. We're going to talk more about what's going on with a new acquisition. I assume maybe we'll even have more acquisitions to talk about after the the event. So there's a lot going on there. And by the way, I should let everyone know, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash laststandmedia, laststandmedia.shop for merch, et cetera. You know the drill, but we're kind of putting two episodes together here. So we're going to record the episode as for a while, a little while, as is if the Sony event never happened, right? We'll get through what we're playing. Then when we get to the news, we're going to cut in with everything from the event. And then we'll cut back to what we had already recorded, which we're about to in a little while, which is the rest of the news. This is going to be a big episode, I think, unless they don't show anything at the PlayStation event at all of any note. And I doubt that that will be the case. So much to discuss, but let's get into it in earnest. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 
The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Wanted to start with this. Tales of Arise comes out. Actually, it'll be out by the time everyone hears this. I'm very excited to play it. Bandai Namco. I thought this was uh, fascinating, guys. This is uh, another one of the examples of PS5 just making games smaller and what we were talking about and some confusion about Call of Duty and why that game is just getting more and more bloated regardless of the console. But Tales of Arise is 57 gigs on PS4 and 37 on PS5. So you're getting into pretty substantial cuts. Chris, what do you think about about this as the footprint of these games maybe gets smaller? It's it's totally unexpected as the bloat expected to have continued for a while yeah i mean we saw this kind of with with spider-man miles like when that was out like i remember installing like the ps4 version accidentally <laughs> and right. it was like it was i think like i don't maybe it wasn't this drastic i think it was like maybe like 10 or like maybe like 13 gigs smaller and i was like oh that's interesting so i, I don't think i ever doubted that like the ps5 is making games smaller. i think it's interesting that that's even possible with you know it, it seems completely contradictory but it does work and we're seeing more evidence of that. And that's, that's good. I just hope that, you know, I, I hope that infinity ward or whatever the fuck, uh, they figure out what the hell they're doing over at Activision to make these games like a little bit smaller because this, they just seem to just be ignoring the technology at a certain point, you know, like just everybody else is making their game smaller. Just do it. I concur. Like it's clearly possible. I totally concur. Although I believe what they were saying about call of duty and why the, file sizes are so big because people in the know wrote in about that it does it is strange and i was really happy to see this not only for people with bandwidth but just for the quick access to the game and and hard drive space which is more limited dustin what did you make of this uh i gotta go get this uh the door real quick so you can talk while i'm going sure yeah this is awesome i mean this is just the evidence of the the ssd which this isn't like i think a ps5 specific thing i think the xbox can also do this it just comes down to the fact that on PS4 or Xbox One, you have the the hard drive. And so in order to incre- increase load times, they have multiple, some, some data will be repeated and be closer to the data it needs at the time on the actual physical disk of the hard drive. When you yeah. have an SSD, that's not necessary. You can cut down on those. And then for something like this, you see like a major, major difference. So it's a nice change. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. It, it, I I could imagine like to a layman, it must be like really confusing though. You know, like you have this like, hey, here's a better game that runs. Here's a the same game that runs better that runs at a higher resolution and it's less space somehow. It, like it seems kind of like that seems like magic to somebody who doesn't really know that much. It even like seems kind of confusing, or it seemed confusing to me before I started looking into like what SSDs were really because I just kind right. of assumed like ah, oh, they're just better hard drives, whatever. Right. You know? But it's yeah, cool. it's uh. It's nice. Hopefully this continues in the future. We see not all games doing this yet, but it's nice that more and more are using less space. Yeah. That was a great conversation, boys. <laughs> Thanks for having <laughs> Yeah. All right. I wanted to also point this out. Focus Home Interactive. So we, we talk a, a bit about them. This isn't huge news, but they're a French publisher and funder of games. They own a few studios too. Uh, Deck 13, etc. 
but they've changed their name to Focus Entertainment. And uh, so we'll, I'm sure, be talking about them much more moving forward. But just know that they're not called Focus Home Interactive anymore. You would know them more recently for, I guess, their most recent game was probably that Aliens Fireteam game. Is that, that the, is, is that the recent one? Yeah, that was uh, Cold Iron made that, but Focus was the publisher. They did that game Necromunda Hired Gun, which I think is a Warhammer game. I actually bought it and then just never played it. And they did a Playtale, which we talked about, and they're yeah. obviously going to be doing Requiem. Also, that New World game, Insurgency, Sandstorm, Hood Outlaws, and Legends, etc. So I just wanted to let everyone know that that name has changed. You won't be seeing it anymore. Again, Focus Home Interactive is now Focus Entertainment. And uh, I thought this was cool. I don't know if anyone saw this. It wasn't going reported in a lot of places, which I was a little frustrated by. Like what I'm curious, like what people even want to talk about on PlayStation shows and PlayStation websites. But Square Enix released this shockingly candid postmortem on Babylon's Fall. And you guys can go check it out at hanging-garden.babylonsfall.com. It's called the closed beta test phase one report. Dustin, did you see this? I was um, I was kind of interested in it because they say a lot of they give a lot of information like the positives and the negatives. For instance, they say there were no installation errors, right? So you're like, oh, okay, cool. So this is just going to be one of those things. But then they get really deep into it. Like they have like these bar graphs for waiting times requests. And then they have like these very specific things where it's where they have like these overall claims. So a claim could be the pace of the game is slow and the action didn't feel very exciting. And then there's Kenji Saito, who's the director of the game, goes in and gives all of this information about what their intent was and how they're fixing it and what they're going to keep. It's pretty fascinating. I actually if you're really re- interested in the, the nuts and bolts of game dev, which we are on this show, of course, you should definitely check this out. What do you think of this, Dustin? What did you did you read through it? Yeah, I did look through this and it's it's already interesting to see like some of the suspicions, at least I had about the trailer already being addressed in particular one that's under, uh, you mentioned the, the, they straight up were like the gate, the, the main comment was the pace of the game is slow and the action didn't feel exciting, which like, uh, that's brutal. That's a platinum. This is a platinum game. That should be the opposite (laughs) of what you want to hear. But on top of that, uh, the one, Uh, feedback they got that the brushwork filter or the oil painting style filter uh, is making visibility bad which maybe they soften that up because i feel like it kind of just makes (laughs) the entire game look bad uh, at least what we saw from that trailer so they basically said they're gonna try to like dial it in more and so it's nice to see you know they got a lot i don't know if they've got a lot riding on riding on this but it is an important game for Platinum right now as they are newly, like, really striving for full independence at the same time as this is, like, this is their next thing with, with Square Enix. I bet you they're looking for this to be kind of a cash cow, so they got to get it right. I agree. At the end, you'll note, if you guys are interested in playing more Babylon's Fall, that the second technical test is actually beginning in earnest, depending on where you are. Uh, for most of us, it'll be North America and Europe. That'll be between September 11th and September 13th. So maybe by the time you hear this and then there'll actually be a phase three and uh, that will begin in November. And they definitely and thankfully use the term. Please look forward to it, which I appreciate that. Chris, what do you make of Babylon's Fall? I was actually specifically wanted to know because you have so, so much experience in games as a service and more persistent games. Have you ever seen a breakdown like this of a game that's not a postmortem, but rather a game in development where they admit that the fundamentals of the game are fucked? Uh, not quite. Not not really. Not in my experience. Uh, it, it it was 
surprisingly candid. I, I do appreciate that. And I, I like when developers are just like open and honest, like, hey, this is like, you know, this is a game we're in progress. We're working on it. And the whole point of technical tests is to receive feedback so that the final product will be better. And I, I would prefer this to like, oh, thanks for signing up to our like uh, demo. Uh, we'll see you on release and nothing will change except the servers might get a little slightly better. You know, like this yep. is uh, really cool. I think this is like really cool of Platinum to do this. And it kind of inherently makes me a little bit more curious about the game, like more likely to check it out. Because if I know that the devs are actually taking, you know, feedback seriously, that makes me a little bit more, you know, open to checking it out, like inherently. Also, I'm just it's interesting that the word that the word technical test is being used a lot. Like, I feel like the the Halo Infinite one was the first time that I heard that really like as like a, a marketing term. But it's it seems to be everywhere now. and and. That seems to be the difference. I feel like it's interesting. I feel like technical test is what beta used to be and beta is what demo used to be. Yeah. yeah. We're like, you know, betas used to give this information all the time, you know, and even the, with the Halo one, it was just like, hey, this is all the stuff that's wrong. We're changing the metals. We're changing this. We're changing that. And it's like, oh, cool. You know, whereas a beta is like, cool, it's over. We'll see you on release. And it's like, all right, well, it's interesting. It's, yeah, it's, it, it is interesting how that term of art as it were has snuck in as the term beta has been degraded because mm -hmm. we talk about that pretty often on the show and you're right betas are just meaningless i mean remember i was just critiquing turtle rock very well respected studio but turtle rock went gold during the beta for back for blood it doesn't make any sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> that doesn't i've never even heard of such a thing what the hell are you talking that's that's like one step below delaying your game that went gold which is what happened with CD Projekt. You know? It's because it's not a beta. It's a demo. It's, it's just straight up what it is. And it's like, all right, well. This and is why the way not to... call it that? See, that's the thing. Is like, I guess they don't call it that because they have to straddle the line saying like, well, if it's broken, it's a beta. And right. you're still going to get the satisfaction of a demo without calling it that. Yeah. So, in an environment, thought, uh, uh, like in an environment where like yeah. everything can be patched in advance, like you kind of want to keep people on the line of like, hey, it's a beta. Don't worry things can change if you don't like this demo this isn't what the game is don't worry everything right. you didn't you, like about it is not there believe me don't worry we right you're, you're absolutely right which is why I, I felt like for the more because more savvy gamers more connected gamers are the ones that usually play these early tests yeah and so i thought it was peculiar and i don't know if you agree with this dustin but i thought it was peculiar that they announced it during the beta simply as a marketing error like you would have thought that someone would have been like there's no reason for us to say we've gone gold right now. There's literally nothing we have to gain by telling people that the game is done. Yeah. So why don't we just wait until we're done with the beta and then we can tell them it went gold. This is just another example, I think, of one hand not knowing how, what the other is doing. And also it seems like Turtle Rock saying like, yeah, the game's gold. And, you know, the publisher being, mm, I yeah. don't know. But then you have right. to even wonder what the hell going gold means now, because maybe that term has changed also, you know, because it kind of has. It, 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 it just means fit for manufacture now. I mean, that's yeah. basically it. It doesn't mean that the game is done. I agree. Actually, Dustin, let me kick this next one over to you. Sure. Right away, because it's Square Enix related, too, and it has to do with Marvel Avengers. They didn't want to skip this as well. They put up a big year one kind of, I don't know, overview of the game, and it's in the on their blog of avengers.square slash nx slash or i'm dash games.com it's called marvel avengers war table weekly number 53 and they basically give uh, well first of all these these perks are done because the year uh thing is done as well but they give a roadmap 
to future content, including exclusive Spider-Man content for PlayStation gamers, which we were promised a while ago. People have been curious about that. It seems like when they announced this, I, I saw some people bubbling back up that are on my Twitter feed, like uh, Fran Mirabella, for instance, and they're still feeling this game. I feel like it still has some group of people playing it, maybe maybe voraciously. What's your read on this year one and their move into kind of a seasonal sport? Yeah, I don't. I've been trying to figure out what the read is on this game because I do see a few people prominently on Twitter talking about this game. The only stat that I came to the top of my mind just to look right now is the like you're able to see the steam charts of how many people are playing. And the last few weeks, it's still been under 5,000 people per day, which I'm curious on what the comparison is. They got a decent bump when the, the I think it was the Black Panther content dropped. They had 10,000 on, let's see, that would be July 26th. And now they're kind of back down under 2,000 players per day on Steam. I'm guessing the overall audience for this game, though, is on console, but... This has been an interesting case where this game did not launch super well. It wasn't like an Anthem level catastrophe, but I think that we talked about how strong the Marvel brand is and how much it carried this game. And I think that that is still what's continuing to carry it because people love these characters so much that when they see a roadmap, they know, ooh, I want to hop in like when Spider-Man comes out, that'll be a big boost. And then people will forget about it for a few weeks. So it's a service game in that people keep coming back, but I don't see people playing this game like they're playing Destiny 2, where they're playing it for a few hours a week. They're coming in when there's new content and then they they dip. But I, I don't know. I'd be curious. That's something we should ask the audience about. People that are fans of this game, like what's their relationship with it like as a live service? Yeah, that's a great point. I also want to just note that I feel like the game was victimized by timing, too. I just feel like it didn't come out at the right time. I don't think I can read it differently, I guess, but I don't think it was supposed to come out when it came out. I think it was supposed to come out maybe even a couple of years before that or originally like in the pre-production phase. And it would have just synced better with the specific areas of the MCU that they were exploring at that time. And there was just more Avengers was just more on the on the tongue. I mean, on the lip, you know, like as opposed to the way it is now where, you know, MCU is still huge, but now we're getting into the granular shit that might be leveraged in future games. So we'll see what happens. I, I'm wondering, uh, Chris, do you want to get back into the Avengers or ever get into the Avengers with this new content upgrade, especially I, with Spider-Man coming in? I look, I just I can't like, look, I like Marvel well enough. Like and these are characters that I do. I, I, I like Marvel characters. I do. I, I like these superhero all the all the shit i think it's cool but i'm also th I, I also think i'm just like spent on it like i i am going to go to the theaters for this new spider-man movie for no doubt because i just love spider-man and maybe i'll check out the avengers when spider-man comes in but even then i'm not super sure because ultimately as a game it just doesn't speak to me like i already have a live service game that you know i enjoy playing regardless of whether or not there's new content that's destiny 2 like and i don't really need another one like i i've already got a george we don't need this, like not me anyway. And I'm I'm glad for the people who are playing it uh, that they you know, that it's looking a little bit more optimistic than you know Anthem, you know God knows. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, I don't know the style of game it is doesn't really speak to me. New content isn't really going to change that. 
I don't know. I'm just I'm just so thoroughly uninterested in it. And maybe it's it is superhero fatigue, but I think it is ultimately just like it's just not my kind of game. All right. Just a few more things. Stardew Valley wanted to give a shout out. 15 million copies sold. Crazy. Quietly surpassed that. Really awesome to see. And really amazing. I'm so curious about Concerned Apes financial situation. I know that's a weird thing to say, but I wonder when he started bringing other people in and what the the divvying of the businesses up and stuff like that because he made it by himself released it by himself but the ports were responsible some other people did the ports and some of the publishing and marketing and pr that usually comes with points attached so i'm just curious like who the winners are with stardew valley's meteoric rise but i this is a game that's always on my mind like it's on my vita per- permanently i just don't get very far before i reset it and i'm like i'm not something's wrong i'm not doing it right and i think it's just one of those games you're just supposed to, i mean obviously you're just supposed to play it and i can't let go of playing it the right way so it's been really frustrating to me chris do you have experience with stardew i have i have no experience with stardew i've never this is like it's just one of those games that seems like uh it's relaxing and like you know oh you get to make a little farm and grow some little crops and uh i don't i don't yeah i don't play games for that reason i play games to stress myself out and get competitive and angry so you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dude, well, Stardew can be pretty stressful, Chris, because you can go into there's like a, a cave system where you go further and further in to find these resources and you have a, a meter or like a time of day. And if you get too tired, you just pass out like wherever you are. And yeah. uh, so there there can be moments where you got to get out of the cave, at the you know, at the last minute. So it's actually. Right. Yeah. So it might be, t- you know, too stressful yeah, at maybe. points for me. It was. But. Yeah, I don't know. I've always been curious about it because it's a game. It's one of those games that I was like when it first came out, I was expecting it to like not really stick around. But it just sort of it clearly has, you know, and I'm just really not necessarily into these like kind of farming kind of like sim type games. But it's been around for long enough that I feel kind of compelled to try it out if for no other reason than to just kind of understand what's happening with it, because it's very clearly an important game, especially in the indie space. It's it's like definitely like one of the one of the most impressive like independent showings in the last like I, I feel like 20 years like including like minecraft and stuff like that so it's cool yeah yeah it's interesting too that it really is just a, a harvest moon game with a lot of bells and whistles and it's so funny when a game comes along that's already already kind of existed and then it just makes people pay attention to it in a really unique way i think when the game came out on pc in 2016 it came to ps4 later that year vita in 2018 but when it came, I remember that year, 2016, it just had a lot of good head, like a lot of good tailwind with the media and YouTubers and stuff. It was a really perfect storm. And I think the game is just going to perpetually sell copies. I think it's just going to per- persist forever. So congratulations to Concerned Ape, of course. A couple other things here I wanted to just point out. Call of Duty Vanguard's beta. So the details for this have been revealed on PlayStation blog. It's um, first on PlayStation. So... The game launches November 5th. Weekend 1 is happening imminently. So if you're hearing this on Patreon, you can participate. And then PlayStation Open Beta Access begins September 16th and runs through Monday, September 20th. And that's for all PlayStation players. The one the previous weekend, this coming weekend, is for people who pre-order the game. And uh, PlayStation Plus is apparently not required to participate in the beta, which is cool if you're not a PS Plus user for some reason. Chris, are you interested in Call of Duty Vanguard? Will you participate in this quote unquote beta or are you going to wait until it comes out? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll probably check out the beta purely because I really don't have, <laughs> I don't really have an intention of buying another Call of Duty game. Like, I feel like I buy a new Call of Duty game every like seven years just to see like how much it's changed. And the answer all the time is very little. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I can't say I'm curious enough about it to buy it, but I am curious enough about it to like check out a free beta, you know, like a free video game. Sure. Why not? Yeah. It'll give you a little taste on what's going on in this World War II combat. Dustin, I, I imagine you're not going to mess around with this. I will play the the beta again, like Chris is saying. If it's free and available, I mean, why not? But I'm in the same camp as a lot of other people that I'm much more intrigued by the new Battlefield this yeah. year. So, But it's nice to just get a little taste of both, see what's going on uh, sure. with Call of Duty. Sure. And finally, before we get into what we're playing, I wanted to bring this up specifically for Chris, although we can all give some insight into it. There's a career listing, a, a job listing on Bungie's website, and it says the following, quote, reporting to the Destiny Universe Executive Creative Director, you'll drive projects that extend the Destiny franchise into new categories, including TV, films, books, comics, and audio formats. And this is as Senior Executive of Development for Film, TV, and Transmedia, quote, as a Storyteller and guardian of the Destiny IP, you will identify, select, guide, collaborate, and provide feedback to third parties and partners, enabling them to tell additional myths in the Destiny universe that delight our fans while capturing the hearts and minds of new audiences. So, Chris, it sounds like they're at least going to actively ex investigate expanding Destiny, which I think is really smart. And this whole transmedia idea, which something is something that Sean Layden is really interested in as well, and something that the likes of Remedy are really into and a few others... I feel like this is just the obvious thing to do. And Destiny, I think, is completely right for this. If you can make a game like the Callisto Protocol off of PUBG, certainly you can make a fucking full-fledged TV show off of Destiny. So does this percolate anything inside you at all? What's up? No, I think this is super exciting. I feel like I've been kind of wanting this for a while because it, the early days of Destiny were, were very frustrating because a lot of the story was packed away in these like weird cards, these grimoire cards that you had to read on Bungie's website. Like they weren't even like you were they weren't even accessible in the game, like a codec or anything. And a lot of those stories were really good, like sincerely, like really, really impressive, like sci fi, high concept fantasy stuff. That's like this is this would be awesome to see like realized in some way even if it was like some kind of cg kind of show like almost like um was it advent children type deal where it's like mm -hmm. animated but in the style of the game or like i don't know how feasible live action would be for destiny it seems like it would be mostly effects anyway so you might as well just make it cg but you know it is a really cool universe and it's it's a universe who that has like a lot of lore and a lot of like really interesting concepts and like just uh i, I feel like it, it's it's rife for this kind of thing. And it's, it's cool that they're finally doing it. Finally, my long con will pay off of being able to, you know, I went to film school and now I get to work at Bungie. Yeah, I, imagine. I was going to say, this seems like a great position for you. Although I was, I was reading <laughs> the required, right. seriously, because it requires, because the required skills are not things that you have necessarily, but some of them are like passion for destiny. Ideally having spent hundreds of hours playing destiny, the game and exploring its world. But then, of course, a job like this can ask for anything they want and they're going to get it. So it's yeah. like credited yeah, on multiple sure. series and films with experience in animation, scripted television development or current programming uh, yeah, and stuff yeah. like experience they're... adapting and extending IT, IP to new mediums, relationships with broadcast, cable, streaming and publisher counterparts. <laughs> it's like, all right, they're going to get some crazy people involved in this. But yeah, I, I, I hope it I hope it works out because I think I think it could be really, really cool if they get I think this so right. Too. 
I think so too. Chris, is this? Uh, I'm sorry, Dustin. Does this do anything for uh, for you or no? Sounds like Chris wants a Destiny anime. Uh, if I'm being honest, <laughs> but you know th- that would be cool, actually. Dude, Star Wars Dest- Visions, man. Yeah, I think, I think honestly, like a, like a like a Destiny show animated in the style of like Castlevania would be sick. Oh that would man, be cool. didn't be they awesome. do that with Halo? It's like Halo Legends. Yeah, they or something. did like yeah, they did like this weird like anime anthology of like different like different art styles and stuff, and it was it was kind of cool. Like it was yeah. like, really really neat. Dude, and Destiny would be. Man, I mean, you could do a a long form thing where you follow select characters, but Destiny's Two lore is made up of so many characters and um, enemies and stuff like that. That an anthology show like that, man, I brought that up as a joke, but now I'm actually very into this idea of like you could do like one an episode on Osiris or something like that, and you can do an yeah. episode on uh, the Witch King stuff like that or the Witch Queen, whatever. A lot of po- a lot of possibilities there. I'm into the idea. Okay, I am too. By the way, I mean, Castlevania, which was brought up, is just one of those ideals about well, how do you expand the universe? That's why I'm so intrigued by Star Wars Visions. To me, I'm like, this is perfect. This is exactly yeah what you need as an accompaniment. Something truly different that can bring people in to your universe. All right, let's get into what we're playing. Chris, we'll kick it over to you. It says you're playing Psychonauts two. Talk to us about it. Yeah, so admittedly, I haven't played much of it. I'm in like the first two hours. I played a little bit. I played a little bit of it on the flight over to New York, and then obviously, like we went and did the live show. So I haven't had much time with it. But the time that I've had with it so far in the in the first two hours has been thoroughly, thoroughly entertaining. Like really, really good, really fun, really like simple, really endearing. Like it, it is a a joy to play through like I, I'm super happy every time I get to like every time I decide like oh I'm gonna sit down and play Psychonauts 2 and I got like a smile on my face it's it really is a thoroughly enjoyable experience I can't speak so much to like the in-depth like gameplay and like the skills because I'm so early on I haven't unlocked much of it but it controls really well it looks really good um aesthetically it's like a really really stylish game and it, it really it's just super satisfying to play. Um, I'll have more to say about it when I have, when I can spend a little bit more time and, and dive a little bit deeper into it. But for right now, first impressions are like really solid. Like this is a surprising outcome for this game. And, and maybe not to a lot of people because a lot of people love Psychonauts. But, you know, I, I never got super into the first one. It's a game that's kind of in, been in development hell, kind of, sort of, for a while. It's, it's, it was announced like a long time ago. So whether or not this game was going to ship in, in like a, you know, a solid state is, you know, was kind of up in the air uh, for a lot of people who weren't, you know, super involved. But I'm really happy to report that it's just like super good. Yeah, I've heard great things about it. A little sour on it, though, because to be honest, because right when, before it was going to come out, I went to go look at a trailer. I'm like, oh, I'll go to their their Twitter feed and I'm blocked. <laughs> Double Fine has blocked me on Twitter. Yeah. Which I find preposterous. Simply because I know Tim personally and I have been have had very friendly relations with him for many years. I mean, I haven't seen him in some time, but had no issues with him. Knew a lot of people that worked there and used to go to that studio. I probably been to that studio more than most other studios I've ever been to. So I was like, who the fuck? But then I found out it's like some some Kotaku person that is their social media person now and just blocked me on there. And I'm like, okay, oh, that makes Uh, sense. So I'm not I'm not going to play your game. So there you go. That's that's my protest. But I'm glad you're enjoying it, hearing great things. Get It's gotten a great score and will probably be the last time we see Double Fine on, on PlayStation. So soak it in, everyone. Dustin, you're splitting time 
pardon the pun, between two very different games, split gate and 12 minutes, you can take them in any order you desire. Yeah. So very little time to play over the past week, but I did That's, finish. Yeah, I, I should yeah. I should know. We've had very little, minimal All time. Of us, yeah. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I did finish 12 minutes. Chris talked about it, not last episode, but the episode before. And I, I think I mostly agree with him. It, uh, Chris couldn't uh, couldn't get through it because of its frustration. I was suffering through it at points just because. So the, the basic pitch, this is, is a game that's like Groundhog Day. You take what you learn every loop and your character remembers that. And so you can use that to your advantage to find out more things in the loops following it. No spoilers, of course. So. The problem, though, is that you'll get an idea to do something and then either A, it doesn't work or B, you fuck it up and then you've got to do the same thing over again. And it almost like this game, I feel like needs a fast forward button or something because it's like, okay, I've heard this conversation that you have at the very beginning with your wife, the exact same conversation. You can kind of skip it, but other times you need to exhaust the same conversation again in order to bring the new information that you got in a different loop so this game does have a very crazy ending uh it's a very intriguing story i only recommend it if you are okay with some frustrations it's not super long though Uh, i'm guessing this will come to playstation usually these annapurna joints have like a or or even devolver these indie games have like a one year thing for xbox so that'll come yeah. eventually Splitgate, though you can play right now on playstation 5 i played it on both ps5 and a bit on pc i like this game it is very it was a really fun time when i was playing it i don't think it has legs for me a lot of people are comparing this game to halo i actually feel like i get it's like halo in that it's arena right but the moment to moment to gameplay is much faster and reminds me more of like a Call of Duty, like your time to kill is much lower than a Halo game. Yeah. And it also is missing like this game doesn't have grenades. It has grenades to take out other opponents portals, but it's missing like it has chaos from its firefights, but it's missing like a chaos from its sandbox that yeah. is going to keep me from coming back. I really enjoyed the few hours I played. If you got some buddies together, the the real sandbox element is its portals where you can like, you know, put a portal above somebody and shoot a rocket launcher through it and it will go and kill them. That's awesome. But I'm curious about what the legs will be for this game once Halo comes out. The PS5 players maybe will, will hold it down since they won't have access to Infinite, but... it's cool here's what i will say the first time i played this game when it first hit beta i didn't really like it and i wasn't impressed and this was the first time in over a year and it is way way better to the point where i was coming back to it so who knows this game's not officially done yet so i will continue to check the progress of it because it keeps seemingly getting better yeah i was looking here too. splitgate what's interesting about splitgate is that it it was given trophies even though it's not done oh, so yeah. like there's this interesting because i was I, I that's why i was clicking around i was trying to find it which i thought was kind of cool and there the trophies are fucking weird 
because there are ones where it's there's like win 50 matches and then there's one win 1047 matches oh that's, that's the like, name of the studio is 1047 yeah so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what, that's yeah, so many matches it's so I, it's like oh my god you guys are annoying yeah <laughs> deal five hundred thousand damage to enemies like that kind yeah. of stuff it seems because like, there are trophies i'm just looking at the trophy rarity so on playstation on psn profiles you the complete a match 92 92 percent win 1047 matches 0.04 percent deal 500,000 damage to enemies 0.71 percent also worth noting tales of arise comes out real soon actually right now by the time you hear this probably really excited to play that and uh, also um life is strange comes out as well no silver trophies in that game all bronzes and golds interestingly Mm-hmm. all right for me just two things to uh, talk about real quick metal gear solid 2 still kind of slowly working my way through it i really love this game i i, I forgot how fun it is i almost don't want to play it you know I, i'm so happy when it takes over and, and some some weird shit on the codec happens or fat man skates by on his rollerblades or whatever so i'm really enjoying that and we'll talk about that on knockback uh, with my brother and then like i said last week i'm playing the several year old release now chasm metroidvania randomly generated it's good not much more to say though we've been so busy and I, i'm kind of sad because this is coming you know tales is coming out uh death loop will be out next week oh wow yeah and there's just so much shit to play and i was just dicking around for a while when there was nothing to play how foolish how foolish indeed of me to do that but we'll have much more to say about what we're playing next week when we have more time to chill and now it's time to get into the news. So at this point, we're going to cut. We're going to go into what we record right after the PlayStation event. We'll do all of the news there. And then we're going to cut back to what we're about to record for the rest of the show. Things might be out of order a little bit based on importance. But my suspicion is that everything that they talk about at the show will be of some import. We'll go and we'll see you. Well, I'm going to see you right now and then we'll see you later as well. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Okay, so here we are. I was looking in the wrong place. I looked up and I was like, my camera wasn't there. It was like over here. And I was like, huh? you have to look at the wrong camera. But there is no wrong camera. There's only one camera. All right. So here we are. We're back. We're recording this after we've recorded the rest of the episode. So as I said, we're segueing into this. We're going to do all of the news out of the showcase and then we'll get into the rest of the news which we've already recorded questions comments concerns lots and ideas etc and so on before we get into it though chris what did you think about the playstation showcase a little over 40 minutes our first real showcase since the console launched and uh it's been about 15 months since we've gotten anything like this yeah so uh i'm wondering what you thought of the overall performance yeah, so I think overall it was pretty cool. Like there, there are little, um, there are little things about this showcase though that I feel I, they caught like a lot of suspicion in me, and I, I don't want to get too specific about them until we get to them. But overall, I think there's a lot of cool stuff to look forward to now. Uh, definitely a lot of surprises, and you know, a little bit of caginess on some dates, which is you know the main thing. Where I was like, wow, I can't believe I can't believe that doesn't have a day yet. Right, um, right. But aside from that, I think, you know, strong opening, strong ending. The middle was where it kind of was like, I, I kind of felt myself like kind of meandering a little bit. But sure. but it's good to have like a lot of stuff to talk about finally after Definitely. God knows how long of silence. Definitely. What did you think, Dustin? Pretty solid. Uh, just like what Chris said, there's like every conference is going to have a few things that are like, okay, uh, we'll get through this. You know, um, <laughs> I do have to laugh, which we'll talk about it. But some of these games, like I'm like, we, I knew Deathloop was going to be there and I was still, I don't want to say disappointed. I'm very excited to play Deathloop, but I, I barely even wanted to look at the screen yeah. because I've seen it so many times, but overall pretty good. I like, especially after Xbox is like what two hour trebuchet, uh debut or whatever at <laughs> yeah, gamescom yeah. Uh, a nice tight 40 minutes was was nice for sure yeah definitely and i would say elongated they were pretty tight on the time a little it was a little longer than 40 minutes but that opening video which they're actually promoting on the playstation blog what are they calling it here the city where play has no limits and it's i actually i was telling micah we were watching it together and i'm like i don't like uh this stuff so much anymore but it was awesome at ign because we used to do what we would call rewind theaters on them and they would get like millions of of views because we would zoom in and there's a lot of like cool easter eggs i saw a bunch of them just in passing but i would like to go back and scroll through and see just how deep they go and if there are any hints in there about future games they like to be a little weird like that sometimes but so that was kind of neat lasted a little long i was actually upset because i'm like jesus christ 40 minutes you just ate 10 percent of it yeah, yeah, this play has no yeah. limits thing, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they went a little long. So I, at the end, I can't really hold them to that. But let's get into the games here instead of rewriting everything like I usually do, since for the sake of time and because we don't really need to do it here. I just wrote everything down in order. Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 games for us to talk about. And we'll take them in order yeah. that they were shown. So let's start with Knights of the Old Republic remake. From Aspire, now our very own Mr. Matty Plays leaked this a long time ago, told you that a KOTOR remake from Aspire was coming, so 100% props to him for mm -hmm. reporting this. Some interesting stuff about this, though. 
I had to read a little bit more about it just to investigate. This is kind of like a second party game, but not really. PlayStation, you'll note that it said Sony Interactive Entertainment at the beginning, not PlayStation Studios. Remember, they were going to they said that they were not going to do that old thing anymore. Mm -hmm. So this that tells me, first of all, this was a deal that was in place for a while. But I was reading a little bit more about it and just going on the PlayStation blog. This is a PS5 console exclusive at launch. So I don't know if that means they're going to bring it backwards to PS4, but more likely it'll come to Xbox. And I feel like this is a game that even if Sony had a financial reason to keep it on PS5 would be a game I think you would give to, to Xbox to kind of play nice, especially because where did it begin? But on Xbox, yeah. so I think that that's where it makes sense. But um, what did you think? Knowing that we knew that this game was coming at some point, I certainly didn't expect to see it here. I, I'm wondering, Chris, what you thought of seeing KOTOR and and I don't know if you guys caught the they had a little bit of an interview with uh, someone from Aspire, the director mm-hmm. afterwards. And some interesting clarity there as well, though not too much. What did you make of all of that? Yeah, no, I, I was not expecting to see that here. I was definitely expecting to see that at some point, but definitely not at a PlayStation show. Only because like KOTOR is, is like an Xbox thing. So, you know, just to see that and to see it existing like for real was really cool because KOTOR is a game that I, I've actually played through kind of recently. I haven't finished it. Because um, I have reached like some game breaking blub, uh, game breaking bug. It's a pretty, it's a pretty haphazardly put together thing, but it is really cool, and it's really cool to see that. The, dude, I was streaming the showcase with Maddie, and he flipped out so hard that the audio broke for for uh, the next two games. But that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a really good reaction, but it, you know, we we don't really have a time frame for this one, right? If I'm not mistaken. No, they they said that. They won't have anything to say for a while. Yeah, so yeah. I would so assume this is, 2023, maybe. I, I would even say 2024, possibly, if if mm-hmm. this thing is like Knights of the Old Republic is a complicated, uh, interwoven game. It's it's part of why the gameplay of it is so is so stiff and janky. It's like the rest of it is so like complicated and intertwined. So I would imagine to get it get it up to snuff with modern fidelity would would take a while, uh, even if it is just a remake of something that we've played before, and even if they might have some kind of rubric to go by in the in a way that they didn't have when they were making the game in the first place. But this is a really, really strong start because it was surprising. And uh, even if there's not a lot of information about it, and even if I think that developer interview was a little kind of nothing, uh, it was just like, what kind of remake is this? Is this, are we just going to get, are we just going to get updated (laughs) graphics and like higher resolution modes? And it's like, we know it's a, we know it's from the ground up. Like it's obviously from the ground up. He's a funny guy. But this is just no offense, but the exact reason why I just don't necessarily recommend the PlayStation broadcast because it's like <laughs> they can't say anything truly interesting about any of the games or ask any yeah, truly it's, interesting it's, questions. It's, it's just marketing. It's, it's too early to say anything interesting about it, but it's really strong start. I thought I, I agree. And uh, this game has a special place with me, KOTOR, just because. It was the reason I bought my Xbox in 2003, and I remember very clearly getting my Xbox at Nobody Beats the Wiz. And then uh, KOTOR was one of the very first games I ever got online, like I bought online. And I remember getting it, like waiting for the UPS man to come. And it was kind of during the time when you couldn't, there wasn't like live updates, you know, online. There was probably some way to track your package, but you didn't know when they were going to come. So like I would get up early in the morning and wait. And so, yeah, a lot of great, memories of KOTOR. I also wrote the strategy got on IGN and that was a fun experience too. Dustin, what did you think of the KOTOR remake popping things off on PlayStation 5? Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, this is uh, a huge, huge get for PlayStation, I think, is the big takeaway is that 
PlayStation has been coming in, getting these exclusives, but not necessarily like, you know, we've talked about the difference between Xbox's strategy and PlayStation strategy in that uh, they are able to just go in and make the smart partnerships uh, where it makes sense. And the fact that this is not just a game that so, so many people love, but a Star Wars game also. I yeah, mean, yeah. they've locked in timed exclusives on on Star Wars and and Final Fantasy, and that's that's huge. It's um it's one of those things where where we've talked about this where it's like it's an it's like an annoying type of partnership because it just is like yeah we're paying so you don't have it, but as we've said they are also very effective. Uh, when you start to stack these games up on the platform. And yeah. this this is absolutely huge. Well, uh, in fact, I think there will be people that played KOTOR years ago and stopped playing video games and are like, yeah, I want to play that when it comes out. Like, it's that big of a game. Yeah, I could see that. It, it's also, I think, coming to PC, I think. I think I read right, it. Yeah. It, it will so, because they say they say that it's console exclusive to PS5. Yeah, yeah. And it and it will migrate. And, and that's the thing too. It's like it's it's I don't think it does have that kind of like you're taking this away feel because it is eventually going to come to other platforms. It is going to be on PC. So a lot of players are going to be able to experience it and it's something that Sony desperately needs, I think, in the form of an RPG, like a proper RPG. That's something that you know, I saw a lot of people uh, in the chat of when I was streaming with Maddie. They were like, you know, how could how could Xbox let this happen? And it's like, to me, the answer is very simple. It's like Xbox doesn't need RPGs right now. Like they've got Bethesda, and they have all these like different RPGs. Like and they like they don't need this as much as Sony does. And I think it's a really smart get from Sony, even if it is like temporary. I don't know how long it'll be. Like maybe like a year or something. But that's a, a good year to have like Kotor on your console and not on the other the other person's box and i suspect my suspicion is lucas is probably you know through disney probably pretty happy with sony so the deal could be one of those influx deals because i keep bringing up final fantasy 7 remake is well outside of its exclusive window it's just no nowhere in sight for anything else other than playstation yeah and so i think that these things are kind of always flexible and oh for sure this this was kind of introduced in my opinion as a potential second party game one degree removed from a like quantic dream or something quantic mm-hmm. dream obviously has their games on pc uh they actually self-ported some of that stuff themselves so we'll see how this all evolves but i'm excited no date yet there as we said they're, they're loath to put a date on it which indicates definitely not next year but 2023 i would say at the earliest all right next up the second game they showed was project eve we've actually seen this game before but it was announced in 2019, and I actually think they showed it again in 2020. This is from a South Korean studio called Shift Up. And I don't know. I think this game actually looks pretty cool, although maybe a little generic as well. It wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't blown away by it at all. What did you think, Chris? Yeah, it was a little fan servicey, you know, you know, these skin tight anime ladies. And it's like, all right, cool. Yeah, I, I don't got a problem. A lot with of ass for Thursday afternoon. Ass. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it was definitely like a lot. I was like, oh, was, it kind of made me nostalgic almost because like, ah, I remember this. Nostalgic <laughs> but, for the ass. <laughs> like just when that was like such a common thing, like yeah. in like video game, like lollipop, cha- you know what I mean? 
like sure. just these like that weird era but it, it did look it reminded me of like bayonetta like like a, it looked like a platinum game that's like exactly I was, what i said out loud when i was like it's bayonetta yeah, so, yeah i said it too on the stream and like me and maddie were like this looks like a platinum game and it looks like it, it could be a lot of fun um our audio went out after maddie like fucking river stomped the wire <laughs> after you freaked out about kotor so i didn't i didn't hear a lot of that presentation <laughs> but um from visuals alone it looked it looked like it could be pretty fun yeah it's uh, and i know that this would speak to you too dustin i mean this is getting into pretty japanese territory and what, what's cool about it is that it's not it's not japanese I, I don't know how much of their team is japanese or whatever but that's a korean team so i like the little bit of cross you know cross uh cultural flavor you know kind of like we got with ghost of tsushima and yeah. others so that's kind of neat. I don't know exactly how that's going to play in, but to Chris's point, I mean, because just the aesthetic is is very platinum, very Bayonetta, and I felt like putting this game early and giving this game a little bit of shine when Sony doesn't say much very very often is also a little sign that like, hey, we still like these games and these Japanese, these action, these perverted in some way kind of games, if you want to look at it that way. And I was reading their PlayStation blog post. It's unclear to me if this game like where where this game's going to land because Kim Wong Tae who's the director of the game says I'm so delighted to properly unveil to you the very first console title that shift up is currently developing project Eve and then he says today we are finally able to reveal a new closer look at the PlayStation 5 game so I don't know if this is like them being vague a uh, language divide because that reads in American English as it's a PlayStation 5 game the PlayStation 5 game so I don't yeah. know. Again, I hate this kind of shit when you're not clear about all of that. But um, what do you what do you think about it, Dustin? I think it looks awesome, especially in a time where I mean, later in the show, we're going to be talking about Platinum uh, and their new project. This is like exactly the type of thing that I would want to see from them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think this looks this looks like super awesome. I love the there's a shot in the trailer where it shows like a space station and then there's this like disgusting eyeball monster stuck to it. A lot of really cool imagery as well. Like I, it's weird because I, I can see what you're saying, Colin, that some aspects seem kind of generic, but I feel like it makes up for it with some of the more off the wall stuff in this trailer. So I'm excited. This looks great. Yeah. And apparently it's also coming to PS4. Remember that this was a this was supposed to be a PS5 focused event but the game will also come to ps4 apparently next year and i'm reading on ign that it was initially announced for xbox one and pc so we will see if anything like that has changed the third game up is another game that we've had announced although i think the date is new tiny tina's wonderlands will come to ps5 and ps4 march 25th this is a cute and fun i think borderlands sort of spinoff although watching the trailer i was a little lost on like what the whole angle is what what is this I, don't, I didn't really i didn't really quite understand like it's it's elevator pitch or it's reason for existing and just seeing a, a little slice of it and i really love borderlands so i'm sure i'll check it out but uh Dustin, let's go to you first what, what did you make of tiny tina's wonderlands from gearbox for some reason in my mind i didn't know this was uh i knew it was a borderlands spinoff game obviously i knew that but i did not know it was just like hey this is a first person shooter just like Borderlands and the same humor. Like, I don't know. I, I, if you, if you enjoy it, if you're into it, 
I'm sure the gameplay is really fun, but I just don't find the game funny at all. Like, there's like some joke in the trailer where you're like, eh, "There's no cr- after credits here. It's not a superhero movie." Like, uh, <laughs> like I I don't know. I've never, uh, not never, but uh, Borderlands isn't exactly my thing anymore. But I like the baby metal soundtrack in the mm-hmm. in the, it was very fun. So it was a good trailer for sure. Yeah, it's it's got a real frenetic feel. I, I I couldn't quite nail it down myself, and I'm usually not as perplexed as I was after a trailer like I was with that, especially with so much gameplay. And I agree, the gameplay looks fun. But the funny thing is, is that I don't play Borderlands for the humor. I actually just love the way it plays. I love the way it feels and looks. I like the cell shading and all that too. But Chris, you have anything to say about Tiny Tina's Wonderlands? And by the way, it's Wonderlands plural. I know a lot of people were confused mm. about that. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I kind of agree with I kind of agree with what you guys are saying. Where it's like I don't really know why this has to exist in the way that it is. I don't understand. Like it just seems like Borderlands, but fantasy, and that's like the that seems like what the elevator pitch is. And it's like, all right, but this could have just been you know another Borderlands. It didn't need to be like Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Like it didn't need to be that. But it was a good trailer. Uh, it looks like more Borderlands for the people who like Borderlands. I. Uh, I'm kind of mixed on Borderlands. Sometimes I like it a lot, and then sometimes I just sort of never want to see it again. It's a very perplexing, you know, game series for me in general. Because uh, I love Borderlands 2. I think Borderlands 2 is, like, really a, a superb video game. But, I don't know, 3 kind of, like, won me and then lost me and then won me, and like, like periodically. And, like, I don't, I don't know. It looks cool. Uh, I'm sure people are going to like it. Uh, I think it's a good release window for a game like that. And, uh... I don't know. I feel like I just want to see more of it, like just to kind of get like I want to know what 10 minutes in that game looks like, you know, from yeah, start from start to finish. I'm sure it's not that different from Borderlands, but I just want to know like how impactful fantasy as a setting actually is on the formula or if it's just kind of like, you know, glorified set dressing, which it likely is. Next up, number four was Forspoken, which we've seen before. This uh, is an interesting game because it's from Luminous, which is the Square owned studio that made Final Fantasy 15. And it's also notable because Gary Witta wrote this game, which I don't know that a lot of people know, but, um, you know, the writer of Rogue One and a lot of other stuff wrote <laughs> Forspoken. And we have a, a kind of a more stringent window for the game, which is spring 2022. And we already knew that it's a PlayStation 5 time exclusive, I think, for two years. So this game, I don't know. The beginning of it, when it was in modern day, I didn't really because I knew Forspoken was kind of like a fantasy game. But when it was in modern day, I was like, oh, this is cool. And then when it went to the the gray, bleak, what I was like, oh, God, I just I for some reason, I wanted it to just stay there. But the more it went on, the more I was like, this is a really beautiful game. Certainly a talented team. I mean, I'm, I'm not crazy about Final Fantasy 15. I didn't beat it by any stretch. I'm excited that Final Fantasy 16 is being made by the Final Fantasy 14 guys instead. But It'll be interesting to see what these guys can do when they're untethered from Final Fantasy and can feel like they can work outside of it. And we're going to find out soon. I mean, it'll be out within six months or so. Um, Chris, did, did, did uh, Forspoken do anything for you? Yeah. Yeah. So, man, uh, I, I was always kind of looking forward to Forspoken. This is like a game that kind of grabbed me when I when we first saw it. Because all we heard, all we saw and heard really from that game was gameplay. You know, we saw like, you know, 
I, I think, right? You saw people like like the main character like flying around. And yeah, like doing it seemed right. like there was, yeah, interspersed, yeah. Yeah, and it looked really cool. And I was like, that looks really awesome. And then what we got today was more of that, except now with the tone of the writing. And I... Uh, I'm not a fan of the writing that I that I heard in this trailer. It was just like this this type of like Marvel movie. Like it was like, am, did I just make shit move with my freaking mind? It's like, yeah, did that just happened? Did I do that? It's like, I don't know. Like, just like, oh, man, like I was really hoping for a little bit more of like not like a serious tone, but just like something that wasn't so I, I feel like irreverence is really wearing on me. Like, mm. I get it. Nothing's serious. You're ha- everyone's having fun. Cool. But yeah, I feel like it's such a juxtaposition with, like, the art style of the game and, like, just, like, the way it looks. Like, to hear that kind of flippant dialogue, it, it works in Borderlands, even as obnoxious as Borderlands can get because it complements the style, like, visually. But this, to me, felt like... It almost felt like I was listening to a different trailer's audio over the video from another trailer. And it was just like, ah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Like, I think it's, I think it's going to play really well. I think the combat looks really cool. I think it looks fast and fluid and beautiful, but maybe I'll like change the language <laughs> to something. Cause like, I, I really, I'm not on board with whatever style they went narratively or character wise here. What say you Dustin? Yeah. So I'm just, I was looking at the blog post and this is actually really interesting. You mentioned Gary Whitta, but also Amy Henning is now attached as a writer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it says um, they include Gary Whitta, Amy Henning, Allison Reimer, and Todd Stashwick. So uh, it's nice to see Amy back out there after yeah. the fallout from uh, the Star Wars game. But yeah, the... the I don't know if it's like I feel like it's like a mix of writing and delivery on some yeah. of these these lines, you know, it's, it feels very Final Fantasy 15 in a lot of ways in that. And maybe that's part of it. I will say, man, the gameplay for this looked awesome. I loved uh, like the character, like you mentioned, like there's like a scene that I'm thinking of in my mind from the trailer that shows like they're on the edge of this cliff and there's like teleporting and flying and all kinds of crazy stuff and there's also this awesome battle it kept cutting back to with this dragon that looked really cool and man i'm i'm excited about this game i feel like even if it is a little hokey and cheesy at the end of the day the the combat from this is looking really really top tier it looks like an evolution of final fantasy 15 in a lot of ways because Mm. Final Fantasy 15 had a lot of interesting elements where you'd like throw your sword and teleport it to it, but it never felt like it felt like it was almost there for me many times. And this feel like from what it looks like, uh, it's just a really nice evolved version of that. Also, this boss fight at the end, it looks like a Dark Souls fight, which is cool. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to this spring 2022. So not too far. Yeah. It looks like it has the momentum down. Like it looks like yeah. it really has like a sense of speed and a sense of weight to it. And uh, you know, gameplay is king. So you know, at the end of the day, that's what I'm most excited for. It had a little bit of control in there too. Felt mm. like we can move quickly through the next few unless there's anything we want to say. You guys can stop me. But Rainbow Six Extraction was shown. We know that that's coming in January 2022. I think it looks great, but I don't know that I have anything to say. Any comment, boys? No. 
Nah, I think it looks nope. awful. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, just really? like, I, right, I really, let's focus on this for a minute. I, I just don't know. Like, just something about, I like it when games can retain like some semblance of their identity. It's part of why I don't like a lot of like free to play and a lot of like battle royale because like it feels like the microtransaction store like infuses these games with like wacky skins for the sake of just like outdoing the previous set of skins to get people to pay for it. And it ends up just destroying the style of the game to the point where like every game looks the same because all games have wacky cosmetics. And that's not necessarily what's going on here. But what is happening is like I feel like there's just like a sense of identity that's being ripped out of Rainbow Six because it just looks like. It, 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 here are these like aliens, but they're like really generic looking and it, it doesn't feel like they're fun to fight. It doesn't look. I feel like the pitch for this game is like, what if Rainbow Six, but zombies, but what if the zombies were aliens? And it's like, I, I don't know. Like, I can't get that out of my head of how terrible a pitch that is. I, I, I assume that a lot of uh, Rainbow Six fans will probably like it. And, you know, it's fair enough. But it, it looks like such a, a clash of of ideas that I just, I don't know. Maybe it'll work out and maybe it, maybe it is great. But it, it's not doing anything for me. I, I would much prefer to play just Rainbow Six Siege as it was when it was still very clearly... A game about military ops sure you know i do know alan wake remastered we actually talk about that later in the show so but i do know it at that point that we didn't know for sure the october 5th release date now we do know that and uh, i just read a tweet from ryan mccaffrey who said that the package will be 30 bucks so very reasonably oh. priced oh awesome yeah and next up is gta 5 and gta online which are going to come to ps5 i don't think we have much to say about that although there's a lot of new tweaks to the PS5 iteration, and it's been pushed to March 2022. I will say the only thing that was disappointing to me was I thought this was going to be when they were going to announce that rumored Grand Theft Auto trilogy. Mm. Like, where, like, the game has been pushed, but, you know, record scratch, GTA yeah. 3, Vice City, San Andreas on PS5, or whatever, but um, anything to say about that before we move on? Yeah, it's just, it's, what's odd to me is that Rockstar, they can easily just make this 4K60 because uh, it already runs at 4K60 on PC. So I'm like trying to figure out what they're doing. I need to really break down that trailer. I think it's the trailer. SSDs thing because they were saying seamless switching and all that, which is yeah. probably not in the PC version. I would yeah, assume. no. Interesting. But uh, yeah, we'll find out. March 2022. All right. So now we get back into things. I think we can take a little more time with Ghostwire Tokyo was shown next. Now we see two Bethesda games because as you mentioned, we see Deathloop a little later on and we'll save it for then. But the Bethesda iconography is not proud and loud in these trailers, I noticed, which was interesting. Usually they would put that up front because Bethesda is so well respected, but this is a corporate conflict of interest for Sony now. But we finally saw gameplay, I think, for the very first time. And this game looks phenomenal. I really am really stoked about everything this game seems to be doing. The dreamlike feel, being in Tokyo, the the... The, the kind of haunting voice acting, the slowness and the methodical nature of everything. Tango is a series. So I've, only, I've never played The Evil Within. Well, I played the first one a little bit, but I don't know what their games particularly feel like. And I was a little worried about this game because obviously it, it notably lost its director, which is never a good sign. But it seems like it's in good hands. And I actually think the game looks frenetic and fun. What What's your take on it, Chris? Yeah, I think it looks awesome. Uh, I the, the most striking thing about it to me was like uh, the enemy design. Like a lot of the enemies, I was just like, I had, I like the, I think 
and I could be misremembering this because a lot of the design and a lot of the visual elements of this game are so like kind of like dreamlike and ethereal and like almost like intentionally like hazy. But like there was that character with like the umbrella or something that I feel like was like like yeah. tossed like the and the big weird face. It looks like really interesting enemy design. It reminds me a lot of uh, Scarlet Nexus with it with her flower. Like that's exactly uh, what I was gonna say. Yeah, where, like, a lot of, a lot of I, that. Yeah, like I, I really appreciate strong and unique enemy design in video games because i feel like you know we've all played the rpg with the with the with the cave with skeletons and spiders in it like we get it so to so to be able to have like these like weird kind of things to fight is like really cool and i think the combat looks really awesome too it's got some like zenyatta action with like the hand signs and like i I think this could be really cool I, i would still like to see like an extended like that's kind of the thing with like with mashup trailers like this where it's like cut really quick. It's kind of hard to get a semblance for how the game really feels to play or like, you know, like it's hard to get a semblance of like how like what does 10 minutes in this game feel like and what does 10 minutes in this game look like? What does the moment 30 second loop look like? And I didn't necess- I don't know if I necessarily got that out of this trailer, but I did get something, you know, that piqued my interest greatly, especially after, you know, all the news, like you said, like the director leaving and. We got that first trailer that was like a lot more horror centric and that second trailer that looked a little bit like really a lot more like the trailer we see now. It's nice to know that we finally know what this game is and like how it'll be at least on some level. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think I think it was a really good trailer. Dustin. Yeah, I love the how Japanese the ghosts look like it's very, uh, you know, the yokai. And yeah. I feel like, though, the one thing I didn't like about this trailer, which I didn't like the the voice acting felt like the weird, which is, it's interesting calling that you really like that aspect. Like I was kind of thinking when I heard it, I'm like, this game, this is a game I'm going to want to play in Japanese just because of how Japanese centric it is. Mm-hmm. But th- I think Chris, you brought up the, the most, or the thing that's leaving me with the most questions is again, is like, okay, we see the spell casting. We see the cool ghosts. Uh, we see the environment, but what is ten minutes yeah. in this game? Um, that's that's my biggest question. Which uh, spring twenty twenty two also not too not too far. far off on this one nope. either. So I'm sure we'll find out more as it begins to ramp up. Yeah, and I'm sure Bethesda is going to be f- happy to get out of these deals so they can move on. Uh, I'm sure that that's going to be something they're excited about as well. But I'm looking forward to it. Like you said, spring 2022, there are some questions and hopefully we'll answer them. But I think we need a little more horror on PlayStation. The potential of horror is so high. We obviously have games like, well, I want to say, I'm not not so sure that Outlast is really a relevant game anymore, but I was going to say starting with Outlast in like 2014, it seemed like we had a little bit of a renaissance with horror games leading up to today and obviously Resident Evil 2 remake, Resident Evil 3 remake. And now we're going to get Dead Space remade and all the rest. So we'll find out more about Ghostwire Tokyo in the months to come. The next game they showed was Eidos Montreal's Guardians of the Galaxy, which we know is coming October 26th on both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. I have to say, so my mind's been a little bit more open to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the last couple of months because we've been going through the movies slowly on Knockback. We did Iron Man and then the Hulk, and I actually really liked them both. And so I was watching this. And I was like, this is funny. This was I, I liked some of the humor and and maybe so it was kind of opening my mind to maybe being uh, more simpatico with those movies than I thought. But I don't know that this game necessarily does anything for me. In fact, the, the gameplay, maybe I'll play it at some point, but the gameplay looked a little generic. I wonder if this is just a game they're going to 
slowly get out and, and move on from. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I don't know. It didn't do much for me. I feel like I have the same concerns that I had last time, which is just like, eh, it just looks kind of not very eventful. Like, it just looks like another one of these... <sighs> I I don't know I don't even know how I feel about it really because it's just like I I look at it and I feel like nothing I get nothing out of it like and maybe that's like really harsh but I I really felt nothing watching this thing like I feel like I almost like lost focus like I almost like it's like I was thinking about other things like my mind was like wandering I was like all right we're at the guardians part again yeah understood it is sooner than I thought I I keep forgetting it's coming out it doesn't seem like it has any hype at all which is funny because there's still a dearth of games like there really isn't very much coming out and there's some stuff but you think a guardians of the galaxy game would be huge it seems like another one of those games i don't know if we mention it later in the show i think we do like the avengers where it just seems a little late for the for the license but what did you think dustin this game suffers from the same thing that the avengers game does for me where i wish they just would have gone with a completely different art direction on this because it's clearly very inspired by the the mcu version of the guardians but they can't put chris pratt's face or have chris pratt in the game along with the rest of the cast so yeah it feels like the meme where it's like it's like can we get guardians of galaxy and the mom says no we have guardians of galaxy at home and then this is what it looks like all the right. version of them. I was thinking like, man, if they did like a cool, you could do the same game with the same gameplay. But if it was like more cartoony with like a cell shaded look or something like that, I feel like I would at least wouldn't be. I don't want to say I'm repulsed by what I see. That's like a strong word. But when I see it and I see this Star Lord, I'm like, nah, like. It looks like they have Chris Pratt's clothes and they put this random dude in instead. Like, it's just, it doesn't mesh for it's me. The same, it's the same thing with the Avengers. Yeah. Like, it was, it was like, it was just like we've seen these characters for such a long time now. And it just feels like they're trying to base, it feels like they're basing things off the movie, but they can't. So they're just like this weird, like, uncanny valley, like, middle ground. Right. Well, we'll find out if it's any good. October 26th. Next up was an interesting one, Vampire the Masquerade's Blood Hunt, and they didn't really do a great job of explaining what this was. I had to go read about it. It's a free-to-play battle royale, and I don't hate the the aesthetic because actually when it first started, I was like, this is dope. I, again, I love, it was the same thing with that Red Hunt or whatever the fuck that game's called on Xbox, where it's vampires and I'm, I'm in an urban setting. I'm digging that, but certainly not a game for me comes out this year though in, yeah 2021 uh, yep and i just feel like vampire the masquerade has been on the precipice of coming back for the entire time we've been doing this podcast and i think they might have gotten like one random game out but it's just for because hard suit labs and all these other studios have been working on vampire the masquerade games and it they just never seem to come out and for people that don't know vampire the masquerade is a tabletop role-playing game i think it began in the late 80s or early 90s but it spawned a bunch of video games and was pretty big on PC about 15 years ago. So this is a spinoff that will be ready sooner. Not a terrible idea to get involved in free to play third person battle royales, especially with some sort of gimmick that will attract some of the gothic people out there. Chris, let's go to you first. Do you have anything to say about Blood Hunt? I don't know. Like, uh, 
I like the setting and I like the, the some of the gameplay looks really cool. Like the, what you're able to do, like as a player in the game, like looks really cool. Like the, like the jumping looks fun and like the weird like teleport slides and. But I'm not gonna play a battle royale. So part of me is just right, like, exactly. man, I wish I wish this was, you know, a single player game that I could play, so I could experience that gameplay loop in a genre that I don't find really annoying. I don't know. It's 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 always a shame when you see a game that looks like it plays really well, but it's just like completely in in this area of the industry where you're just like, I just don't want to be in there. You know, what do you think, Dustin? Yeah, I'm so I'm watching right now. Apparently, either this game is in beta or out on PC because I'm watching the YouTuber Jack Frags play, which he has a great channel, by the way, if anyone is into games like first person shooters and stuff. But I don't know with with Battle Royale. we talked about before that's like we've we're hitting the saturation at this point if you're not uh, a big brand then you're not gonna make it because even like ubisoft tried and didn't make it either it's one of those things that i just am like is this game gonna have any legs i guess it would have to be only if the gameplay is like really really on point and i just don't I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see if if another player can really enter the field. I, I wonder what it takes. Like, how many players do you need for a game to just be kind of successful in its own little community? Free to play? Yeah. Hundreds of thousands, at least. I mean, for it to be successful, because you have to find the whales and then you need to right. hunt them. You know, and if, it, if this was just a game you bought, you know, tens of thousands. Potentially. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. All right. Next up is Deathloop. I know you guys are not. I guess you guys were not. Thr- I was. I'm fucking stoked about this game. I, I was. It comes out September 14th. So imminently. It's a game with great urgency. I know that they keep trying to play that up, but it feels different to me. Just just seeing that feels like a different kind of game in a in an industry where it's about playtime and extending playtime and taking your time and seeing everything and doing everything a game like Majora's Mask style where you don't have time to examine the fucking foliage and everything is quite attractive to me I I knew you were going to see it I was surprised that they didn't lead with it uh, because it was obviously going to be in there somewhere but um yeah Dustin well let's go to you first yeah nothing more to say I'm no I I'm in insanely pumped to play this game I'm so excited I just uh I was I and I knew they would show it too like it'd be dumb not to to show it when you have this many eyes it's coming out next week of course you are but i personally i was like i don't want to i feel like i've already seen too much of this game for me i know a lot of people don't mind and don't care that's that's fine but uh i was kind of like only half watching but i will definitely be playing this i'm so excited i'm worried it's not going to do well i feel like there's outside of our uh, community. I don't see this one. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's kind of a little muted right now out there for it. What do you, did you get that impression also? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's going to kind of be the case. And that's what I was saying with the removal of the, but that like real, but that's the iconography and yeah, not giving them a splash screen and all of that. I just think maybe both sides want to get through this and it's unclear it's unclear that the money like Sony might look at this and say, like, it's unclear that the money we paid for these timed exclusives is really going to work out now that the money is going into the pocket of our competitor. And 
they're not losing much in return. So I think it's just a little bit more of a deeper meta situation than they had expected to be in. And that might have something to do with it, too. But I'm I'm, st- I'm looking forward to it. Chris, any new take on Deathloop? Uh, no, I'm still looking forward to playing it. I, I'm kind of with Dustin where it's just like I, I didn't really watch the trailer when it came on. I was I was we were, we were I was just talking to Maddie about it, about the game in general, because like I, I'm already sold on it. Like, I don't need to see anymore. Like, I'm going to play it. It's so soon to release that it's just like I'd rather just wait and play the thing than see another trailer. Like it reminded me of like when when Spider-Man was doing their um in in 2018 when when they had their marketing cycle and it it felt like I couldn't escape <laughs> Spider-Man trailers and it's like I get it. Like I I it's a I'm going to play it. Don't worry. Calm totally. down. They have nothing else to show. I think Deathloop is kind of the victim yeah. of that as well. And they'd rather beat the shit out of Deathloop than their own games like Ratchet. So I think that we just have seen a lot of this game, but but I'm I'm amped up September 14th, so by the time you hear this, imminent. They I this they went through this really quick. I, I don't I didn't even see much about it, but um the Radiohead record Kid A, which came out in 2000, is getting like some sort of Kid A Kid Amnesia, I guess they're calling it, which is Epic Games and Radiohead doing something, but unclear what that is. It's coming to PS5 this year. That was just a quick thing they showed, but I guess we'll keep an eye out for that. But the next game we saw after that was Chia, I think that's how you say it, a game inspired by New Caledonia, T-C-H-I-A. And um, I want to, I'm curious what you guys made of this. This seemed to be a fish out of water. And when I see games like this, I feel bad for them in this context because I just feel like people are like, oh my God, who cares? But in reality, this might be one of the better games that that was shown. Chris, did, did Chia... TCHIA, a game inspired by New Caledonia, and inspire anything? Any interest in you? Yeah, it looks it looks cute. I thought the idea of like platforming by like taking control of different animals was pretty cool. Like, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things in this one, and and the fact that it's um so different from everything else does help it a bit. It is also one of those games though where I feel like a lot of the point of it is that it's really pretty. You know, like it's like, oh, look at how cute it is. And it's like I, I, that kind of draw doesn't necessarily work on me too much. I feel like I don't know. I feel like there's only so much entertainment I can get out of that. But I do think that the, the core idea of like controlling different animals and like exploring different the, the world in like different ways and having like a different control scheme for like different animals. I think that's really cool. Like and it looks cute and uh, endearing. Yeah, it. Reminds me in that way of, of it's funny because we were just talking about it. Michelle Ansel's canceled PS4 exclusive Wild. Yeah. That was the whole idea was going from animal to animal. So it seems like a little bit of the spirit here. And I was wondering if they started, Dustin, I don't know if you caught this. They started their trailer with her playing like a guitar. And I was wondering if yeah. that was like kind of a last of a shout out because I'd never seen a game that they represent the the notes, like the chords exactly the way the last of us does i've never seen a game do that so i didn't know it's obviously in the game but i didn't know if that was kind of like supposed to be a little wink and nod it's worth noting we don't know when this game comes out but it is also coming to ps4 so it'll be on ps4 and ps5 do do you have any thoughts yeah i i loved all the animals and this was super cute and uh it actually i think one element of it and i'm in the youtube description i see right now it says it's a physics driven sandbox and there's this one shot that i really love where uh, you're a seagull and then she jumps out and then in midair takes over this little pupper and it just looks it looks incredibly charming there were people uh in my twitch chat they were like man uh boring and i'm like what are you talking about this looks like super but that's what i'm saying super that's what great I'm saying. 
Yeah. This game, this kind of game just doesn't, I really don't feel like this game is served by even showing it in these, in these, right. It's not, you need like polygon. I mean, I'm not even trying to be facetious, but you need like polygon to write about this game and you need the right people to find this game to, to let it get traction. The people that are watching the PlayStation showcase are not going to be very interested in this. Right. I don't think. It was a weird turn after Radiohead's Kid A. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like it was just a very weird game <laughs> yeah. to put in there. But yeah, nonetheless, I think it looks cool. We'll keep an eye out for it. And uh, I like that it's based on New Caledonia. Of course, a Pacific series. I think it's an archipelago, actually, but I, I don't know anything about it. So that'll be fun to learn more about. All right. So the, the final five things that we're going to talk about here are all from the first party. And we'll take them in the order that they were revealed as well. I think there's only one true surprise here but certainly five things worth talking about the first thing uncharted 4 a thief's end plus the lost legacy will be coming to both playstation 5 and pc not a huge surprise these will come out in 2022 so they're not here yet i think a lot of people expected to see naughty dog here but i think people thought we were going to see factions i i thought we might as well but this was long rumored the rumor was actually that it was going to be like all five core games four core games plus the expansion but it ends up being just Uncharted 4 and The Lost Legacy, and it's the only game that was shown for PS5 and for PC. In fact, I don't remember Sony ever announcing explicitly a game for PC quite like that for the first party. Yeah. Although games are obviously coming along. So, uh, Chris, what did you think of this jump? I mean, this makes a lot of sense, but I think that it's much more substantial that it's coming to PC since the games are already playable on PS4. Or PS5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think that's I think it's cool. I maintain that I think it's bizarre that the PC audience is only going to get the fourth Uncharted game. <laughs> They're kind of being thrown at the end before they even have any idea of what's going on in the middle. And I feel like it's it, I, I feel like that's just a little bizarre. But aside from that, I think, you know, it's cool. Like, uh, it's about time that this game got a bit of an upgrade because, you know, the last three or the previous three all run better <laughs> uh, than than the fourth one does. So I think it's sorely needed. Uh, not the not the announcement that I necessarily wanted out of Naughty Dog, but you know, cool. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, they. I I don't know. I was scrolling around about this because it's being written by by on PlayStation blog by a Naughty Dog. I guess I wouldn't be too too surprised by that, but by a Naughty Dog communications manager. But I was wondering if Nix's had anything to do with this at all but it's there's no nothing to be found about that in the trailer so probably not dustin what do you make of this announcement specifically i'm curious what you think of the whole pc inclusion right off the bat unusual for playstation it's the first time a playstation game has ever been released day and date even if it has a port on pc and on the console at the same time so but it's that five-year window right we're we're past five years of a thief's end and we're closing in on five years for the lost legacy so anyway go on yeah it's it's exciting and i was thinking back i think it was last week we discussed the leaked or the the image about this coming out and i think we were right on the money i, I can't remember exactly what we said but we said like probably happening this image is fake though so yeah i'm so excited to see this game running at a higher frame rate because it's it was I remember it was jarring like the Uncharted collection was so awesome running at 60 FPS yeah. and then Uncharted 4 is absolutely beautiful, but not at a high frame rate at all. So not that it, it was a solid 30, it was an, a solid naughty dog 30, but 
I have always wanted to go back and play Uncharted 4 again. And so this is the the perfect opportunity to do that. I, I think Chris is is onto something in that it's like, okay, we're, we're bringing this game to a new audience, but Uncharted 4 is not... Uh, the, it's like the most reliant on the ones before it in that it's the, a thief's end. You know, they they there's so many references and callbacks to the other three that it would be so strange to start on that one. But hey, it's there anyway. Enjoy it or not. Yeah. Might be part of the strategy. By the yeah. way, to to just be like, well, that's all. I, it's what I said about Halo, right? Kind of going in the other direction. Where it's like just give us the first few Halos like they were going to do at the beginning of the PS4 collection and then just say like fuck it. That's it. That's all you get. Yeah. So, but We'll see how that goes. I'll be really interested to watch the Steam charts for those games. And I'll also be interested to see if they're available a la carte, which I assume they will be. All right. This is probably the next one here is the biggest surprise for sure. Although this was rumored. I think I saw this in passing. I certainly never heard anything about it, but I heard about this in passing. I just don't think anyone believed it. Insomniac's making a Wolverine game. Now, I have to kind of line this up. I have to talk to some people, but I'm pretty sure this would be a Marcus Smith game. And Marcus Smith's the guy that did Resistance and Sunset Overdrive and Miles Morales. And Drew Murray, who co-directed Resistance 3 and co-directed Sunset Overdrive, went to the Coalition, you might recall, left the Coalition to go back to Insomniac, is working on this game. So I'm excited to have those two guys back together. I think that might mean something special. But I think Morin, you can see that Marvel has ex- explicit trust in Insomniac and in Sony. This is this Wolverine will be the fourth game. We'll talk about the third game that they, they'll be doing because they showed it after this. But I'm I'm amped up about this just because who the hell knows what what they're going to be capable of doing. And I, I really give Insomniac a lot of credit, although I've always liked Spider-Man. I, I give them a lot of credit for making me more interested in Spider-Man with their game. So who the fuck knows what they might be able to do with Wolverine or some sort of X-Men style game. Chris, what did you make of this announcement? Yeah, no, it's super exciting. Like, I, the, the, first of all, the fact that Insomniac is going again and again and again, as we'll, as we'll talk about, just they are on another level, like work wise. Like, I don't know if they, I don't know if they got Adderall in the water or, or whatever the hell, but it's <laughs> they're, they're working overtime because to get this much out in such a small amount of time and granted, like these, these are just teasers for the most part. But it's it's really cool. And, and this has a lot of potential. Specifically, I was talking to Maddie like. Dude, like I remember X-Men Origins Wolverine was one of like the few, uh, you know, movie based video games that was actually like really, really solid, like yeah, really, really good. Game. Yeah, that so was a Raven game. Yeah. No. So to so to think of Insomniac doing that kind of game is like really exciting and really cool and really Definitely. surprising out of nowhere. What do you think, Dustin? Yeah, it's it's crazy to see them already up to bat with two more games we'll talk about the other one in a second but it's okay i want to make sure i say this right way i'm a little tiny bit mixed in that i think insomniac is such a creative and imaginative studio that there's a small part of me that's like "Mm," like i kind of it kind of would have been i'd love to see them do a totally new ip Again, just because uh, I, I thought Sunset Overdrive was so cool and they're such a, a creative team. But I mean, Wolverine is pretty dang cool. 
And we know how well they did with Spider-Man and adapting that and making it their own as well. So overall, uh, Colin, I think you brought up a great point with the uh, implicit trust that Insomniac has uh, or that, that Disney has with Insomniac now. And so you got to imagine this is, um, this is, you know, who knows what else could we see uh, through this partnership, uh, you know, five years down the line could we see a third uh marvel game from insomniac as well but then you gotta like we have spider-man 3 will we have a, a wolverine 2 someday like there's like they're starting like a sub franchises basically um but insomniac is just crazy enough to put out like <laughs> a game every every you know 12 to 18 months it's 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 crazy yeah it's it is incredible and so I'll just say it now when I when I saw Wolverine and then Spider-Man, which we'll talk about next, we'll just go a little bit out of order. But I messaged my friend over there. I'm well connected at Insomniac, James Stevenson, who's the lead marketer. And I was just like, what is your headcount? And he won't tell me. He's like, he's like, oh, he, what he said was a lot. And then I asked him, like, can you tell me on the record like what it is? And he said he couldn't. And I think they're smart enough to know that I'd be able to dissect how many teams they have by by telling me. But it's pretty crazy. I don't I didn't expect to see them again at all. Nonetheless, two more times. And they really I, I don't think you could. I don't think it stretches belief to say like they're definitely Sony's most important team now. Like there's just no denying that they're more important than Naughty Dog. I don't even know how you could make the argument. You might think one is better than the other. They're quite different from each other. But Naughty Dog has gotten that mantle taken away, I think. Now, maybe the very highest quality games, like the 10, 10, 10s, triple A games come out of Snowy Dog, but Insomniac's pretty close. And so I was impressed by that. And we'll just jump forward and say they showed Spider-Man 2, 2023. Seems like a little circulate about around Venom. It's PlayStation 5 exclusive, no PS4 version. And, and I don't know if you guys read, read this, but Dustin, I'll be interested to see what you thought of this first, but... I felt like they were clearly saying it's a co-op game. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I had no doubt about that. That's what I, what that's what I thought too. Yeah. What did you make of it? Yeah. I mean, co-op, I think that'll be really interesting to see how they I- implement that because through the combat of the other games, there's like slow down mechanics, which don't work when there's two people playing the game. So uh, I, I'm wondering how they could pull that off but i think it was you know insomniac is a team that we trust uh implicitly because of their track record and i'm wondering you know maybe they could have the best of both worlds and have it i mean of course you'll be able to play the game by itself solo but maybe there's a co-op mode that's like a separate mode where they modify combat slightly but man the the Venom tease at the end was very exciting. I'm not like a, a Spider-Man mega fan, but I've always thought Venom was like a really, really neat character. So it'll be cool to see him finally introduced into this Spider-Man universe. What say you, Chris? Yeah, no, super exciting. Like, uh, I remember like uh, Maddie, Maddie and I first thought like, because you see the electrical, it's a teaser trailer. So there's not any gameplay or anything. This is a ways off, but you know, you saw like electricity hit the lamppost and like Maddie was like, is this infamous? 
that's what i thought yeah i thought it, i thought it, yeah. did, it did it did look very infamous like the dark tone or like the dark streets but no this is very exciting i think it very clearly is in some ways a co-op game and in fact i remember like literally saying this on the podcast like years ago how cool it would be uh to have a spider-man co-op game like i think there is definitely audio of me saying that a while ago so the fact that they're doing that is really cool assuming that the information that we're gleaning from the trailer is that it's co-op i'm looking forward to this i don't have a problem waiting venom is just such an awesome character especially like in a co-op setting with Spider. i wonder how the i wonder if the black suit is going to come in to play at all like if, if that'll mm. like be like some other bit of equipment or if the there's Venom's presence alone in this in this trailer implies a lot about the gameplay because the last time we had like a symbiote oriented Spider-Man game was Web of Shadows and that had a whole different combat wheel and a whole different combat style whenever you switch to the black suit and uh, there would be wise they would be wise to kind of look at that as a, a cool inspiration but a this, is, this is very cool yeah 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 it's it's interesting I take what Dustin's saying, though, and I think you both have said it, actually, which is no matter how much uh, Insomniac grows, there's a finite amount of games they can make. And yeah. we want, you know, is Ratchet going to continue? I don't know. It, it, is Resistance coming back? I, see, I feel like that's more unlikely than ever now. Yeah, I, I don't. But maybe I don't know. That would be, that would be awesome. I mean, I'd fucking love for that to happen. It's been 10 years since we got a Resistance game. Well, not not quite because there was the Vita one as well. Not from Insomniac, though. So. I, there is an opportunity cost for them working on licenses, and this might explain why you want to grow your teams with more urgency outside so that maybe another team can make a Ratchet game, although that's never happened. Or maybe a team can make you know, something else that would come from their slate, a Resistance game. Like, do you really need Insomniac to make Resistance themselves? I don't think so. Most of the people that worked on Resistance aren't even there anymore. So it's... I don't know. I I, I want to see them kind of move these chess pieces around a little bit and see how they can make it all happen. But I definitely agree that Insomniac becoming a de facto Marvel studio is not the most ideal thing. Although for Sony, it is very ideal because these games are going to sell huge. They're going to have a connection, no doubt, to the MCU. And they go from there. And there's just incredible cross-pollination between their Sony pictures and all that. The next game that we saw, actually, we saw this in between Wolverine and Spider-Man 2, technically, is Gran Turismo 7. We have a release date finally on PS4 and PS5, March 4th. I was saying to Micah that it's a it's a real shame because there's no doubt that this game is gorgeous and I'm sure that the live stream didn't do it any justice. But I was looking at it and, and it's more racing. I don't know. We have to find the appropriate people in the ecosystem to talk about this game when it comes out. We can't just ignore it. Yeah. Although I'd very much like to. Anything that you have to say about this, Chris? Not really. You know. I, I i'm just we're not i don't know if this <laughs> none of us are like particularly like oriented around racing games you know like no. they, they, they're beautiful and they're cool and i think they have their place and i i've dabbled in in forza but like I, I just don't know if i were to dive into this trailer it would be like an idiot like talking about <laughs> talking about it like i would i would have no idea what i'm looking for i don't know what the community is looking for i don't know what's exciting and new or what is like a series mainstay I, I got no idea, but I'm, but it did look gorgeous. What about you, Dustin? Yeah. The only thing I can say is I love this trailer. The music at the beginning was very cool. It was well cut. Yeah, I always appreciate 
a good trailer. You know, like I feel like sometimes you see a bad, like you know, a bad trailer, and you're like, ah, uh, what was that? No style, didn't show anything of substance or whatever. I yeah. loved, I loved this trailer. It actually made me like, man, I, I wish I was like into this because this was this was cool. But I'll still check it out. I know someone's gonna buy this game, so I'm gonna force him, my friend Brandon, to uh, I'll have him bring it over. He can show it to me. I will just say that, um, you know, sales level, I'm incredibly curious about how this game sells because I feel like Gran Turismo is on the decline and this will prove it or not. I, mm-hmm. I just don't feel like the series is as important as it used to be anymore, both internally and certainly externally. There's there's at least one franchise people would not readily, but you could argue is better than this in Forza. And certainly the Codemasters games are now going to be much more in play with EA and stuff. So the, the the challenge is for them to get the realism, get the physics right. Actually, if you watched Herman Hulse speak afterwards, I thought I was interested. He was talking about the the PS5 controller and the haptics and all that and how it works with the the, the triggers and stuff. And I'm like, that sounds kind of cool, but I'm it's not for me. We'll find the appropriate person to talk about that when the time comes. But the final game that we need to talk about, which I have no idea how it has no release date yet, but it doesn't. So the, by the way, the next two games we're going to get from the first party is horizon in february grand turismo in march after that's a mystery i assume god of war will be in the fall maybe but god of war ragnarok it is we have confirmation the finale of the so-called norse saga so we know this is going to be the last of these god of war games we get and it looks great it sounds great it's i'm excited about it let's go to you first chris what do you think yeah so this was the one where i i was watching i was like this looks really good but it also and there's no reason for it. Look, there's no reason for it not to look more of the same because the first game was great and it looked gorgeous. So there was there wasn't a lot of room to improve graphically. You know, a lot of the animations carry over and like it makes sense. But for some reason, I was watching it and thinking like this looks cool, but also like I thought I would be more excited to see this than I am as I'm watching it. I don't know what that is. Or why that is. We've been, I think maybe part of it is that we've been kind of talking about it for a while, but not really knowing. Yeah. And that's kind of frustrating. I think it kind of ruined it a little bit. I don't think they intended for this to go on for this long, but it did kind of, that's why they just didn't even need to announce this when they announced it. I just didn't really get it. We, of course, we knew we were going to get this game eventually. They just got ahead of their skis a little bit, but I, what do you, do you agree, Dustin? Yeah. It, I was thinking, like, I'm watching the trailer now, trying to think about it, and it's like, it's exciting to see the continuation of this story, and I know that I'm going to most likely love this game, but there wasn't anything about it that, like, really got me amped up. It's like, you know, the next, the chapter, the sequel, the next part, and it's more God of War in a lot of ways, which is, you know... totally fine because the first one was was really great so i I wonder too just like um i don't know when i'm watching this trailer it this looks like graphically like the ps4 version and i almost wonder like i don't know would a would a a ps5 only god of war like had a a a big difference is it is it not you know like we we keep saying that and i'm like you know, there's it's very controversial because some people are like, oh, no, you scale it around. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, well, it kind of just looks like the PS4 game and other games that are exclusive to PS5 to have a different different quality to them. 
So it'll be curious to see. I like the new environments for sure. It, it it's that's one thing that I did enjoy seeing is that it's very clear that we're in a new place for this yeah. game. That's not it's it's well said just in the sense that I guess it's not like the most glamorous thing. But it's just that we knew, like we know what it is. It's the same thing with Horizon. Like we understand what it is. We get it. I think. Well, let's get into this now as we wrap things up. I get. Well, we're gonna go back into the rest of the show. Everyone's gonna see the rest of the show. But as we wrap up our thoughts on this, how do you think this went? I, I feel like this was pretty good. I. I feel like it wasn't excellent, but it certainly was no less than good. I don't know yeah. like what my expectations would have been otherwise. I think as PlayStation fans, we're pretty conditioned to always want first party stuff and anything else seems disappointing and that was kind of my takeaway was i was like really you didn't show us very much that we didn't know about we knew spider-man 2 was coming you you had admitted that i mean we knew we had known that wolverine is the only authentic surprise but what's funny is that the new game comes from the studio no one even thought was gonna go which just leaves all of these questions still (laughs) and i'll get into that in sacred symbols plus but it's like holy shit insomniac is doing everything so what is everyone else doing and that said i i i you can fit it in the good to great area i think it was a relief to finally see something it, it went off without a hitch there were no technical problems there wasn't any calamity or some fucking you know dreams on ps5 or some shit no one's going to care about so i'm feeling pretty good right now as a playstation fan and i'm excited about a lot of these games uh dustin what's your take yeah, I I think that putting this, I I would be willing to say this is uh, was a great show. I mean, I can't emphasize enough that it was a good forty minutes and not ninety. Yeah. They didn't fill it with a bunch of stuff. I mean, there was stuff we already saw, and that's fine. I, you know, getting some some updates here and there is is cool. We like that, but it's not like we saw Far Cry again. <laughs> in this event like if i saw far cry again i probably just would have i don't know quit everything my my life and ended it period because just so tired of seeing far cry so having a nice concise 40 minutes was really great the question i have going forward is that is it how long will it be before we hear anything again will it be what was it over a year since the last showcase right for before the ps5 got announced uh i can't remember exactly but you have to imagine that they would they would have to go sooner than that again but i don't know well what's your take chris yeah i mean i think it was good i think it was a good showcase i i think um i think the thing that i'm i'm left kind of flummoxed by the most is just you know, I wasn't expecting to see Insomniac and we saw Insomniac and all of it was awesome. And I was expecting to see God of War and I saw it and I just, I don't know, I just sort of, I don't know, it was like underwhelming. Not not that it looked bad and, and not even that it looked like it was going to be a bad game or anything or that they, they went about it in, in like a way that I thought was wrong or anything. It's like no problem with the game whatsoever. I just, I just, I thought I would be more excited for the things that I was expecting and I thought my expectations were pretty clear and pretty safe that Insomniac wasn't going to go. So it's kind of like both. Like, I'm, it's almost like I have the exact opposite reaction after the stream that I thought I would have after it. Mm. So it's just kind of interesting. But I think overall it was a really good showcase. I think it was a start strong. It was it was a strong start. 
a pretty strong ending. And the stuff in the middle, as meandering as it was, I think was all interesting to, you know, just kind of touch base, like knowing that Alan Wake is coming, knowing that GTA 5 is coming is, is useful, that uh, platinum looking game looks cool. It was a good showcase. And I appreciate yeah. the tight 40 minutes as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. I will say this because I, I've been given a lot of shine to Xbox the last year or so, a lot of the choices they're making and everything. And everyone says it reduces down to games at the end of the day. And I agree. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I'm reminded by, frankly, watching this is just that when I was seeing a game like God of War, we were seeing horizon in the splash screen or in the, uh, the sizzle reels, rather we were seeing whatever the case might be. Gran Turismo. No, not so much Gran Turismo. I want to use that as an example. And I'm like, uncharted for actually in Lost Legacy is another good example. Seeing those games running again, where I'm like, the reality is Xbox has no games like this. None. And it's a big differentiator. When you look at a game like God of War and then you look at and you're saying and you just say like point at a game like God of War on Xbox that has the same polish, the same, you know, level of detail and immersiveness and all of that. And they don't exist. And I think they're going to. But I think that it this kind of showcase reminds me of why people often say to me as a as a rebuttal, but Microsoft hasn't done anything yet. And even with Halo on the horizon, it's true. They haven't. They still haven't actually delivered anything yet. And you can tell that even though God of War might, I don't want to use the word derivative because that's kind of loaded, but we know what it is. Yeah. But it's going to be a nine. Mm-hmm. I imagine. You know, it, it, and it probably will be. Yeah. Right. And you imagine Spider-Man two and Wolverine are going to be these like exceptional games. Like who even doubts that? And we don't really have the same kind of calibration with Xbox. Yeah. And so I think seeing this gets me going again as a PlayStation fan for a little while. Dustin, you're right. We got to get something. We got to get it again. Yeah. Not this year, but January, February, do it again. And I also think that it, it so it puts a little juice into me. And I think it reminds me like this is a, pretty solid place to play all things considered yeah if you have to choose and not everyone has to choose some of us choose to choose and so i think that it, it, it was eye-opening for that reason it makes me that's where i was kind of getting was it makes me more excited to see what microsoft does next because now they really have something to answer i almost feel like they it looked like they were beating a dead horse for a while and they were they were just it, it was great but now they have something to kind of compare themselves to i'd be very interested to know what their reaction is to these to these trailers. When I was watching the Gran Turismo trailer specifically, I was like, I wonder what Turn 10 thinks, Playground thinks. It's been so long yeah. since they've had to deal with this. So that's where my mind's at. But I hope everyone enjoyed our conversation about this. We're going to segue back in now to the rest of the episode. There's still, well, like two hours of the show or something like that for you to get through. So <laughs> um, in, enjoy a lot, ton of news. That, Again, one of the big things that I thought was going to happen because they announced Fire Sprite was I thought that they were getting that out of the way because they had something else to announce. But with and we'll talk about Fire Sprite next and I'll let us segue into that. But I do want to say that given the context of no new announcements, I think the Fire Sprite announcement was kind of peculiar. It almost makes me wonder why they did it when they did. But we could discuss that another time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, we're back. Now, that was fun. I can't believe that they announced Jet Moto Cross Battle Arena Toshin Den at the, at the PlayStation event as a PlayStation VR exclusive. It's incredible. Yeah, they did that. That was wild. I wasn't expecting Death Junior to come back like that. I know. Kind of kind of insane when you think about it. (laughs) So thank you for that. All right. So remember, we're going to do the rest of the news now. This is basically the normal show. Yeah. For the week moving forward. And we don't have the context of what was announced at the show. So maybe some things will be a little bit off and it might be relevant, especially in this news story here, which I will call one a and a completely unexpected but potentially shrewd move. Sony has expanded its first party family with an all new acquisition. This time around, the team in question is Fire Sprite, and you may know them best for their PSVR centric survival horror game, The Persistence, which launched back in 2018. Now, it's true the purchase of this British team was unexpected, but indeed it makes a lot of sense. For starters, the core of the team comes from Sony's first party. Older PlayStation gamers will remember the once beloved studio Psygnosis, which Sony purchased in 1993, eventually turning it into Liverpool Studio, commonly called Sony Liverpool. Their Wipeout Racing Series is renowned, and they were once the official developer of the F1 Racing Series, too. Their last game was the PS Vita Western launch game Wipeout 2048. They've had a sometimes second-party relationship with Sony since founding, working in a support capacity on the Japan Studio-led Playroom, which was a PlayStation 4 and PS camera bundled-in game. The VR iteration that launched in 2016 was also assisted by the team, which then went to work on the Persistence for PSVR and its standard ports, which came later. In addition to acquiring the Persistence as a Sony IP, Fire Sprite's expertise in VR will be an important arrow in Sony's quiver with PSVR 2 on the horizon. However, it's unlikely that that's all we'll see from the team. In an extensive interview given on the website GamesIndustry.biz, Herman Hulse, the head of Sony's family of teams, noted in part, quote, What I really like is that Fire Sprite has grown so much. It is now a substantial developer of over 250 people. They've really established an entrepreneurial spirit as an independent team. They're very experimental in their approach to game development. I think the combination of that legacy and their spirit, that's a great foundation for us to collaborate on the few great game, uh, few great exclusive game projects that we're working on together, end quote. Better yet, later in the interview, we get a peek at what two of those projects are, quote, a game changing, huge multiplayer shooter and an ambitious, dark narrative blockbuster adventure, end quote. These games, quote, will be in the genres in genres outside of PlayStation Studios core offerings, end quote. Holst promises. Chris, what do you think? Uh, this was an, a, a, a surprising move. I didn't expect Fire Sprite. They, they never came to mind for me at all. But it's a studio that makes a lot of sense. I was reading something interesting, and it makes sense when you think about it. This studio is huge. They're bigger than London Studio and Media Molecule combined, the two other British teams that Sony owns. And I can't help but wonder what the fuck they're doing. And why Sony would want to Sony's eager to say, hey, let's just lock you down right now before we even really see anything true from you. What do you make of this uh, acquisition? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I can't say that they came to mind either. Like, I, I almost I almost want to say, like, I didn't even hear about these guys like before this announcement happened. Like, I have no, I had no clue what this I had never even heard of the persistence. So, like, hearing this acquisition was a little confusing. But in the sense that, you know, they're looking for studios to to make things that are kind of outside of PlayStation's core offerings, which is like, as we've been through on the show, like a million times, like the third person kind of, you know, gritty action adventure RPG 
type deal that we've been getting from a lot of Sony first party, I think it makes sense to go with like a studio that they might have a little bit more insight with. It's like, oh, hey, you're you're doing a multiplayer shooter. That's something that we kind of need and we can't necessarily it doesn't really necessarily make sense to kind of go out and like kind of look for, like I know people were talking about like they should buy uh what is it the, the studio that makes Splitgate like oh they should buy the oh, Splitgate 1047. studio yeah. yeah too late yeah and like it's too late <laughs> and also just like you don't want to buy things that already exist you want to you know make your own thing and it's 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 cool that they have a, a team that they feel confident in enough to like lock down now and kind of on go on the record kind of saying is like hey you know huge multiplayer shooter that's cool that's great news for sony like because they just don't have that and it's an area that i think they would be wise to you know spar in and now they can it'll be a while before we see it but the important thing is that the seeds are being planted and you know this is this is cool i think this is good news i do too first of all tapping more into the british ecosystem is always great there's so much gaming talent in the uk and so to have your tethers there, especially when your other studios aren't really attracting AAA variety talent. No offense, Media Molecules, people aren't going to Media Molecule to make Call of Duty and they're not going to London studio to make, you know, Uncharted. So this is a studio. This is a place where you can siphon some of those those that that great talent from Rockstar and others that are in the area that or in the country, I should say, not necessarily in the area that are making games and doing a really really great work now dustin i'm curious what you think of this headcount 250 people is huge i I was looking and i'm not entirely sure i would assume that's bigger than sucker punch that's probably about as big as santa monica naughty dog's probably bigger than that 250 is a lot of people that's a big ass headcount that's a huge that's a lot of bellies to fill you know and imagine the mouths to feed just just off of that with families insurance all the shit you have to deal with so I'm reading into this pretty obviously that Sony is so eager about what these guys are making that they're willing to take all of that expense on. And I don't think you do that lightly, especially when they seem to be more surgical in their acquisitions. That just tells me that they're making something important. What did you make about this announcement? So at the end of your write up here, it says they're working on a game-changing huge multiplayer shooter and an ambitious dark narrative blockbuster adventure. Surely we can lock in at least one of these as a PlayStation VR 2 game. I would imagine so, yeah. So, and I think that that's part of uh, the strategy is that Sony is all in on VR. Uh, they're, they are not backing down. They're, they're releasing a new version of one that sounds extremely promising and they want to make sure that they have the talent in the games to to back it up and it's interesting to see this be the one i'm looking at the other games that they've done we talked about the the persistence but they also did uh let's see air force special ops nightfall yeah that was a vr game i didn't play i didn't play that game yeah that was from 2017 and then they they did do they worked with japan studio on the playroom stuff and they worked on run sackboy run which was like that random ios and it was on vita too but yeah so they don't have they that's what's so interesting is they don't have a whole lot of experience what is interesting by the way is that they have a relationship with cloud imperium and i wonder if that has anything to do with this acquisition as well because they're Mm. working on star citizen and i wonder if that if any sort of tether to that game might be interesting too because i'm realizing over time 
I had this thing in my mind that that game was a complete disaster and a joke. But the more I realize, I'm like, no, actually, it's it actually isn't. It's been ridiculous in its development cycle and how much money it's cost, but people like it. So do you think that that might play into it at all? You know, Star Citizen is that one of those games that I'm always I forget that it even exists. But then I'll see (laughs) a YouTube video of someone detailing like this is the latest update to whatever thing. And I'm like, man, this game looks sounds really cool. And didn't they get they have like some pretty big star power. Like I think Mark Hamill is in Star Citizen, right? Yeah, yeah, I I think you're right. Yeah, because I remember seeing a trailer like that, too, where it was just like, oh, okay, he's in this game that like, dude, I have never seen gameplay of this game. Like, is this a real game? Like, is this real? Because like, I'm kind of with you, Colin, where like every time I hear about it, it, it's in the context of it, like existing in the future, you know, or like it's just some kind of like big disastrous joke. But I guess I guess it's real. It is real. And like it's funded like something crazy like a hundred million dollars or something they've gone through but it's confusing which is not a lot of money when you consider how much i mean that's that's not even a triple a game on playstation but the point is is that they've been making it oh no i'm sorry which i'm sorry i'm totally wrong 300 million dollars yeah so that's more than that's more than pretty much any game that's ever been made on the so yeah go on real, just for, for some more context on this uh star citizen deal this is from their uh the fire sprite wikipedia they're specifically working on a game called theaters of war which is large-scale combined arms multiplayer game mode in development for their game Star Citizen, and that partnership started in early 2019. So, yeah, I and they wonder... say a game-changing, huge multiplayer shooter. Yeah. So that, that that's interesting. I don't know. It, it could be interesting. We'll 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 keep an eye on this acquisition. Again, not having the foreknowledge of if they're going to announce another studio acquisition, I'm I'm a little surprised they didn't just keep this for the show, but. I will say we should check our PSVR 2 expectations somewhat. I think it's obvious that they'll make a PSVR 2 game, but Herman Holst did say in an interview on Games Biz, I believe that, you know, they won't necessarily only be making VR games. And I don't think with a headcount of 250 people, you're going to need all of them to make it. I also wonder if there's a Nix's style acquisition here at play as well, just a little bit in that the persistence, as I understand, moved from VR to standard consoles. And so they have some sort of understanding of bringing the games in between. Although, of course, you're running the game and then you're just running it twice at lower resolutions and all of that at higher frame rates. I mean, it's not rocket science per se, but they have some sort of experience of bringing games from one to the other. So that might be useful to Sony as well. But I I was, I don't know, I didn't expect this at all. I didn't hear anything about it either, to be honest. Real Radic wrote into us and said, hey, CDC. Sony Interactive has acquired its 15th studio, Fire Sprite. One aspect of the news I do not see people talking about that much is that the team was made up of former leads at Sony Liverpool. With rumors that a new Wipeout game is in the works for PS5 and VR, do you think Fire Sprite is the team making it? Omega Collection on PS4 is fantastic, and it would be cool to see the original developers come back and make a brand new Wipeout for PS5 and VR. It's possible. I don't see why that that wouldn't be the case, but I don't know. I don't know if they're I don't know if it's wiser for them to make a new IP. Make something different. Wipeout yeah. is fun, but I don't know that it has that much cachet. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I, I don't know if I buy that they're the ones. Made. It, it seems like an easy enough kind of like, yeah, Wipeout's really cool and really special. Like one of my favorite games, like Wipeout Pure on the original PSP. Like it, that, that was such a fun portable experience, especially. But I don't know if it's the wisest use of that that big of a studio to to make a, a VR version of Wipeout, which to be fair, I, I feel like could just be done by 
literally any VR competent team, you know, like they just even just putting a VR mode into an existing wipeout, like I feel like would be would suffice. And I, I don't think it would take that much effort in comparison to like what Sony seems to think or what Sony seems to know that Fire Sprite is doing, which is something, you know, Wipeout is not a massive game changing multiplayer shooter and it's not, you know, this what is it, a dramatic action adventure Dark narrative blockbuster adventure yeah like I, I i just don't think that they're the ones making a wipeout for vr although i do think a wipeout for vr makes a ton of sense and it probably will exist i don't, I don't think it would be them making it we'll see yeah i i don't know if it's a faint on their part but whole specifically saying that these are genres quote-unquote outside of playstation studios core offerings just tells me that you know, big multiplayer shooter that's outside of their core offerings. Dark narrative blockbuster adventure doesn't sound so much. Yeah. And a racing game doesn't really sound out of their core offerings either. They have arguably the greatest racing studio in the world. So and they, of course, realized the error of having two of those competing with each other when they shut down evolution. So we'll keep an eye on this fire sprite story. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Lots of possibilities here. Don't know when we'll see more from them. Maybe we'll I mean, I, I was kind of playing with in my mind, which will be funny because this will go out of order if that's the case. But maybe they're going to show the game today although i doubt it because wouldn't you want to say it all at the same time i think that'd be more exciting all right 2a sadly overshadowing last week's announcement of horizon forbidden west release date on playstation 4 and playstation 5 february 18th 2022 was a snafu that sony should have seen coming pricing as you may recall sony revealed that there would be no intergenerational upgrade path for standard versions of the game only people who purchase special editions would have a path to upgrade while this could be rationalized, the reality is that Sony itself promised there would be a free path to upgrade from one to the other, and they used Horizon as a specific example. So they either forgot or thought we did, but thankfully they changed course. In a brief letter signed by PlayStation CEO Jim Ryan, he notes in part that, quote, it's abundantly clear that the offerings we confirmed in our pre-order kickoff missed the mark. Last year, we made a commitment to deliver free upgrades for our cross-gen launch titles, which included Horizon Forbidden West. While the pandemic's profound impact pushed Forbidden West out of the launch window we initially envisioned, we still stand by our offer. PlayStation, or I'm sorry, players who purchase Horizon Forbidden West on PlayStation 4 will be able to upgrade to the PlayStation 5 version for free, end quote. Better yet, the real crux of the issue, the absurdity of there being no cheap or free way for normal edition purchasers to upgrade future cross-gen games has also been ameliorated. Ryan closes, quote, I also want to confirm today that moving forward, PlayStation's first-party exclusive cross-gen titles newly releasing on PS4 and PS5, both digital and physical, will offer a $10 digital upgrade option from PS4 to PS5. This will apply to the next God of War and Gran Turismo 7 and any other exclusive cross-gen PS4 and PS5 title published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. End quote. Dustin. Yeah. Does this make it all better? So here's a funny thing about this that I was thinking. They're still going to charge $70 for the PS5 like disc version of this. So theoretically, everyone can just go buy the PS4 version and upgrade it for free and save $10 on the game. Am I? That's, is that, no, is so, that right? Someone wrote in about that, and that is also my understanding of it, which is exactly why they should just not even be bothering to do any of this and just say the game costs $60 because it's a cross-gen game. Right. And you just can play it on PS5 when you get it there or whatever. I, I, I don't get right. it. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's also just take a minute to uh, acknowledge the colossal fuck up of sony pr on this one which 
I know it's a joke on this show how much we uh, not a joke, but a, a, a reoccurring thing that we bring up uh, Sony PR's mistakes. But like it is their job to remember the messaging of the company, especially the messaging of your president, Jim Ryan. <laughs> and we didn't bring it up last week because it's true. I we did forget that he said this. It wasn't until after we recorded that I was like, oh, shit. Jim Ryan did say this would be free. So one of two things happened, and both of them are ridiculous. Either one, they uh, forgot that this happened and did it, did this, and then realized like, oh, crap, we shouldn't have done that. Or two, they thought because they moved it, they could pull a fast one and act like, oh, he, you know, that doesn't apply anymore. He didn't forget about that, hoping that we wouldn't say anything. Either way, it's like, Really? Do you really think that you would have gotten away with this? I mean, again, to be fair, Colin and I didn't think of it, but in the vast audience of PlayStation uh, fans, of yeah, the high someone, high. someone, yeah. you know, as soon as there was a couple tweets out there, I was like, oh yeah, they did say this. So I don't know, man. Sony PR just, I don't. Know. It's just amazing. It's incredible, actually. It it. it well, that's the right word. It is incredible. Ollie Reynolds wrote in about this on Patreon. He says, hi, gents. Hope you're all doing well. I'd love to know what you make of Sony's decision to backtrack so quickly on the upgrade limitations with uh, Horizon Forbidden West. Personally, the pessimist within me thinks they're doing this on purpose. We talk a lot about optics and Sony is currently getting a lot of positive praise for being consumer friendly and listening to the fans. Praise that they wouldn't have gotten had they simply made the right decision in the first place. Maybe I'm looking into it too much, but I feel like someone at Sony must have known how the audience would react, right? This was kind of my takeaway too, Chris, because I think Dustin's right. It's, it is maybe one of a few things. Either they really did forget, which is possible. Yeah. Or they were like, we're just going to get away with it, which is also possible. Or they were like, well, people will complain. We did say something else and then we'll turn back and we'll look consumer friendly. I hope it is one of those things because it just seems like it's so strange that you would forget and it's easy for us as commentators that talk all this time to forget but when your focus is like we focus on ratchet and clank and horizon and we're like on these games for years and at the pr and marketing level and then they're like oh yeah we had this really important implementational you know implementation of pricing and we totally fucked it up and we yeah. forgot so it does come off as a little a little too cute and I, I must agree with Ollie that there is maybe more to it. But what did you make of this quick, rapid turnaround and and kind of just the whole f the funny thing, like Dustin said, like, it seems like you can literally just play buy the PS4 version and then just not pay $70 <laughs> and then just play it on PS5 anyway. So I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they do get some of the people on disc who just want the disc version, which they wouldn't get otherwise. So that's like, you know, that that is that's something. True. But this whole thing has been handled so this isn't like a catastrophe or anything, but it, it is handled like really poorly when you consider like all of the eyes and all the all the cooks in the kitchen who are supposed to be like paying attention to this, like and watching it like a hawk to 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 end up in a situation where you even had to walk back on anything regarding price um, for a cross gen game uh, feels a little, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but it, it, it feels a little um, haphazard, like like unusual for for sony but i i just find this I, I found this whole thing insane like i remember when they first when this because i wasn't here last last week 
to talk about it, but like I remember when I heard the the phrase, what was it? Uh, it was like entitlement, dual something? entitlement, dual entitlement. I was like, oh my god, I, I know smart that we, delivery, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. But like we, we've talked about like smart delivery before, and it's like, damn, they really like you know, yeah, they were right. It, it's totally. It, it was smart to get in with because then you get dual, which is like the worst phrase that I think I've ever heard come out of like a company, like dual. And it it just seems like you're talking down to the people. What do you say? Like dual entitlement. It's like, dude, come on. It's like a digital offering of a cross-gen game. Come on. It's not dual entitlement. You bought the thing. Yeah, you're entitled to the game on the on the platform. Yeah. And the platforms are now like one. Basically. Yeah, exactly. It's just like how PC has been forever. Like you don't like, oh, this doesn't work on my old graphics. It's like, what? It's not how any of, any of this works. And especially considering how that's just the way it works on the Xbox ecosystem like like entirely now. It just seems odd that this late into this this new generation of machines, and not that we're that late in, but we've had a lot of we've had a decent amount of time here with PlayStation Five, and we've had a lot of lead up to Horizon, so that they would make a pricing mistake like this, knowing what's going on on the other side and knowing what's going on in other you know areas of the industry is just really it's we strangely unprepared, you know, just comes across as like somebody cramming before the final like in the in like 10 minutes before the class starts you know like ah fucking we'll just throw this together really weird yeah you would think that someone would again say the situation as as we're reading it can be circumvented yeah entirely we're literally wasting our time and again i'll just continue to bash on myself because the whole smart delivery thing we were making fun of it but you really have to also i don't know why we thought this but you also have to think that we just maybe didn't assume that Sony would be so stupid, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's definitely part well, of it. Cause, because what, what start, what my, what, that was my whole thing with smart delivery was, I was like, okay, you're going to get the best version of the game on the console, of course. Of course. Like, it's, it'll know. What, but Sony, it's like that, that, that gif of that guy with like all the things and when he's washing his car and he crashes into the car and rolls over the hood and the water yeah. sprays everywhere from like the tel- <laughs> you know, from the... The infomercial and I, I don't I didn't expect that Sony because all they really had to do, you know, they're hundreds of millions of dollars in the black every quarter. Right. All they had to do was just say it costs the same and any cross gen game will just cost $60. Now, I'm sure they look at the books and the bean counters are like, well, that's going to take tens of millions of dollars potentially away from us. But I'm like, but then we don't have to deal with any of this. And we don't need the money. And I'm saying we as Sony if I was there. Yeah. So I, I that's what I find so peculiar. It's frustrating, right? It's the same thing of like when I was talking to Philip Mewson a couple of weeks ago and I was frustrated that he couldn't write a review without copying it. Like it's so weird, right? It's so frustrating to hear that. I'm, I'm similarly frustrated here where a mega co- corporation would just be like, we'll just take the path of least resistance so that we can win an optical game for once for the first time in forever. Instead of having people circulate that famous Shuhei Yoshida, Adam boys video of them sharing a game and being like, well, that wasn't, I mean, that wasn't that long ago, boys, when Sony was trying to dunk on people and uh, there's no dunking to be had except, except, except for, of course, of course the uh, sales figures. And we'll get into that in a second for this, for the uh, console. But just to remind everyone again, Horizon Forbidden West, Horizon 2, February 18, 2022, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5. Really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to that. 3A. 
Now, I have an addendum to this. I'm going to read it as I wrote it, and I'm going to have a surprise addendum at the end that not even the boys are aware of here. Number Ooh. 3A, bad news. If you're looking for a PlayStation 5, it may be until 2023 that you're able to readily find one. Word comes by way of website Bloomberg, which relays news out of Japan that tech giant Toshiba, quote, won't be able to meet demand for power regulating chips for another year and in certain cases through the end of 2022, offering a fresh warning for makers of cars, consumer electronics and industrial machines struggling with component shortages, end quote. The story reads in part. Toshiba's planned $500 plus million investment into semiconductor manufacturer will come too late for PlayStation 5, which is severely supply constrained and has been since the console launched in November of 2020. The story later continues, quote, video game consoles are another prominent victim of the power chip shortage. Sony said it was still confident it can sell more than 14.8 million units of the PlayStation 5 this fiscal year to match the pace of its predecessor. But the new console's production in the April to June quarter lagged behind the PlayStation 4s for the same period, ellipsis. Game console production is vulnerable to a lack of components. Manufacturers are making daily calls to suppliers to ensure parts will reach assembly lines as promised, according to a top executive at an assembly contractor. Some console customers have told the assembler that they may alter their circuit board design to reduce the required components, end quote. This bad news comes on the back of a report from friend of the show, Tom from Moore's Law is Dead, reporting on something we discussed on Sacred Symbols Plus a few weeks back, that he's hearing a PlayStation 5 Pro type console may be aiming for market in 2023 or 2024, may cost between six dollars and $700, and may aim for potentially AK gaming. As for PS5 itself, the console surpassed 10 million units in the summer, and Sony aims to sell 22 million in total by March of 2022, it is currently the fastest selling home console of all time. If it meets those numbers, it will still be uh, the fastest home console uh, selling home console at that time. Now, addendum. This email came to me just in the nick of time, Tom. He emailed me, Tom from Moore's Law is Dead, friend of the show. And I'll just read what he said. I mean, I don't think he'll mind. He says, I don't think I've ever done this before, but I do want to reach out ahead of the recording in the event you cover the PS5 Pro rumor I leaked. If you do cover it, I feel the need to emphasize that most outlets are wildly misquoting it. I want to be clear. PS5 Pro is coming at least of now. This comes from within AMD and within Sony. I did not confirm it's $700, nor that it's an 8K console. Pricing and specs are completely unconfirmed, and in fact, my video argues against an 8K console. Releasing a 6 nanometer PS5 Slim plus a 4 or 5 nanometer PS5 Pro would actually help supply. Working on a Pro now in no way hurts Sony's ability to try and improve supply. An Xbox Series S upgrade in 2022 would also help supply. So that comes straight from Tom at Moore's Law is Dead, who I know is under some siege lately. But yeah, I, I'm glad you sent that because I, I was, I think I used Video Game Chronicle as the report for this one. So come right from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Right? Tom from Wars of Law is dead. PS5 Pro is coming, at least of now, at least as of now. This comes from within AMD and within Sony. Thank you, Tom, for writing in. As Damon Hatfield used to say at IGN, scoop. So uh, let's see here. Let's start with you, Dustin. Yeah. What do you make of this possible continued shortage, maybe into 2023 for PlayStation 5? Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate, but the to my understanding, it's like there's only so many of these many, many million dollar machines that can make these dies. And it's hard because you can't just build another one. They take many years to make. Uh, the the machines that make the machines that make the machines, I guess. So it's uh it's you know the perfect storm of there's so many uh devices that need them along with uh the pandemic that shut down production for a time. 
So yeah, we're going to be in this for a while. And I feel like I would have, I feel like the PS5 Pro was always going to happen, uh, even from the start. They op- they tested the waters with the PS4 Pro, and they it, I, we've always been unsure about like what the PS4 Pro numbers were, like what how many did it sell? Was it a big hit? But I think even still, uh, at that point, they were able to sell a lot of people a second PlayStation, which Definitely. is is good. And so they're thinking, well, good for them, uh, and maybe good for the consumer if it's a good product. So. They're thinking like, yeah, people bought it last time. Let's sell them another PlayStation 5 again. And honestly, something that I didn't even just think about until right now is that let's say it is, what did Tom say? 2022, 2023? Yeah, let me look again. Uh, He said, yes, he said PS5 Pro is coming, at least as of now. This is within Sony, blah, blah, blah. Oh, actually, he doesn't say anything about dates. He says maybe an Xbox Series S upgrade in 2022 would help supply. I feel like 2023 would be, it would have to be, that's the earliest for this. But if they're still having supply issues, then I don't know if having another SKU helps just in terms of production, but you also have the idea that people will be buying a second PS5 at the time and there would be more flooding into the resale and the used market, which ultimately in the end, the bottom line does help Sony because people still need to buy games from Sony. Uh, And that's really kind of where a lot of the money is made. So I know that Tom already denied the 8K gaming thing, uh, which makes sense to me because no one even has an 8K TV. And I don't even know if people want that. A 4K, uh, 4K native, 60 to 120 FPS machine though. Yeah, that sounds quite nice to me sounds tasty very tasty yeah, I, yeah. i'm interested in uh, so i like what some of what tom has to say here too in his email because and he'll be proud of me in our conversations i'm learning a little bit more about how this all works i like how he's saying with the six nanometer ps5 slim and four to five nanometer ps5 pro it would help supply and the reason for that as i understand is because when you're making the wafers of silicon obviously you're just able to shave off nanometers in the production and that those assets, that that raw asset can now go into another wafer and you can kind of, you know, and so on and so forth. So it just pushes it all down, gives you more assets to work with as you make them thinner and thinner. So that's something I, I mean, that's probably common knowledge. For a lot of people, that's not something I didn't I, I knew. So, Chris, what do you make of this supply constraint? Actually, let me throw this at you real quick since we got a question. We might as well integrate this as well, Chris. Josh Landon wrote in and said, hello, insert sexual joke about a pair of juicy C's and a girthy D. Longtime listener and first time writing in. After reading the recent reports about the PS5 heatsink being downsized in newer models, as well as the projected chip shortages lasting until 2023, that first topic is what we talk about on Sacred Symbols Plus, or what Dustin and Jimmy Champagne talks about. I broke down and bought a scalped PS5. Shameful, I know. But personally, the $200 premium I paid was well worth not worrying if I will ever get one of the damn things through the regular means. If 2020 has taught me anything, it's to be prepared and act preemptively. Given these reports, how do you see the scalping market in general PS5 availability going forward? Do you even think they will even do you think they will be even harder to find? So I wanted to just throw that into the ether because I want to talk a little bit about scalping hmm. in a minute. But what are you thinking about this whole situation? Console is scarce. Sony anticipates being able to meet 
sales expectations, manufacturer and sales expectations. We have a report out of Bloomberg Japan saying that people from Sony are literally on the phone every day with the manufacturers, <laughs> making sure that things are going as according to plan. So it seems like it's kind of teetering and could kind of all fall apart in some way if just one one manufacturer doesn't come through. So it's what a what a dance they have to do. But what do you make of this news, this unfortunate news, if you don't have a PS5 yet? Yeah, I mean, it, this whole thing is a disaster, <laughs> though. I don't think it's a disaster necessarily of, you know, any, you know, of Sony's making or any or any anybody's making. Really, this is just like a, a perfect storm of like random happenstances. But, you know, I don't know if I have much more to add other than what, what Dustin was saying. It, it does seem like one of these just freak situations where we're just going to have to kind of hope <laughs> that these things get into, you know, the homes that that they're wanted in. And right. I, I don't know how, like, I, I wouldn't say I'm educated enough on like production of these machines to know, like whether or not it makes a ton of sense that like a new skew would help supply. I assume like in some ways, like, you know, smaller, like, you know, wafers and all that would, would definitely help on, on some like small level. But I, I think most, mostly what I'm curious about this story is like this, this PS five pro that is like supposedly on its way how will that look in 2023 if this is still happening and people still can't get the damn thing right like will there be a price cut to the ps5 base by then you would you would have to assume right right? so (laughs) i don't know it's just like it seems like when 23 2023 rolls around and there is this new machine I, i feel like there's probably going to be a pr storm like if it's still this hard to find a ps5 at that time like, I feel like that's going to be a, a tricky thing to navigate, although people don't seem to mind the, you know, limited edition Series X console that's going around for Halo. That's theoretically kind of in the same thing, even if it's not like properly a new skew. You know, I, I'm just, I'm really curious about like the public reaction to when this all kind of comes out. Yeah, because even if what because what Tom says is salient. And by the way, he just wrote back to me and said, glad I reached out then excited for the reveals tonight and the CDC coverage on it tomorrow. Thank you, Tom. So. I'm glad he reached out too, but I feel like it's worth noting that Sony won't really be able to effectively communicate what Tom is saying, which is probably true, which is saying like PS4, PS5 Pro will actually help manufacture by using less silicon and all that. Mm-hmm. And to me, I, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But I just don't think you're, and it's really interesting, but I don't think that, that you're going to be able to communicate that. I think you're right. Yeah. What will be necessary, and I think what helped PS4 Pro, although it was not supply constrained PS4, PS4 Pro was supply constrained the entire time it was on the market, as people remember. And it's also worth noting, and just as a quick aside to interrupt myself, we have no idea how many PS4 Pros were sold. None. We have no clue. And I'm a little frustrated by that because Sony should tell us. And the fact that they don't tells me that I don't know how well the Pro really sold. Millions of units, no doubt. But I don't know how many of the 110 or whatever, 115 million PS4s, I don't know how many of those are pros. And they were never being, they were never able to find them. So Sony can keep those really scarce and just say they're for like the top end and maybe that will help fix the problem. But I think what helped Usher PS4 Pro in, which was another thing I was totally wrong about, PS4 Pro, I just hated, hated it when it came out. But what ushered that in, I think more successfully is making sure that it basically costs what the PS4 did cost when it came out, making a cheaper model underneath so what i would like to see chris is if they're going to do this say like they should announce the ps5 pro when they announce it and say like the ps5 pro is going to come out at the same time that we're going to have this redesigned much cheaper ps5 
and it'll be much easier to find, much smaller, much sleeker, won't look like a gaping vagina anymore, and you can have it uh, <laughs> on your on your entertainment center with pride. So yeah. excited to see this. But um, Dustin, how do you feel about the scalping at this point? See, I'm proud of Josh in some way that he held off because I think he probably saved a few hundred dollars. But this is what I've been saying. Depending on the amount of money you make and how financially comfortable you are, I do feel that if you want a PS5 really bad, it's probably worth a $200 premium at this point to not worry about it anymore. Now, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's different. But God, if you want one that badly, I wouldn't, I agree with Josh where it's like, don't let it fucking ruin your life. At some point, it doesn't become fun anymore. And they're not, they're not $1,200 anymore. Now they're apparently 700. So the market is, is going down and that's going to really help too. And that will help supply as well. But anyway, how do you feel about that price, Dustin? I am looking around. I have the eBay completed auction and it looks like the average price right now between 700 and 750 yeah, for the going disc down. version. Yeah. It's so going down. it's going down. Uh, well, I think it will, con- unless something happens where the the supply gets like interrupted for a little bit or we start to see less of them come out, then I think we'll continue to see prices go down, especially also as the market just gets, you know, more and more people get them less demand. Right. But yeah, it is difficult. I, I would agree that if you have the means and you don't want to worry about getting one to, then maybe it is worth it to just buy one from a scalper. I don't think I could ever do that on a personal level. Even if I had $2 million, I don't know. I feel like I would like, I would, mm, I don't know. It, it it would frustrate me to be like, man, this guy's making 200 bucks off me just because he was faster hitting click the click button on a, on Best Buy. Like, yeah. you know, so, but that's just that, me. Yeah. That's just a personal level. I, I've not bought anything scalped like that. I can totally understand that. I, I've, I don't know what I bought. I bought tickets to like sports scalped. I think that's probably, I think it. I have two actually not sports, maybe music too. But yeah, ticket scalping is like probably like the most common. Like I feel like most people who have a history of like going to concerts and going to shows have at least like got like one scalped ticket because that's usually sure. how tickets even like get around anyway. Like yeah, I remember like, and all that is scalping. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, secondhand. Like I've definitely been given tickets. Like, hey, you want this? It's like, all right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, StubHub is awesome because I mean, it was. I haven't used it in some time, but it's like such a veritable market. And I used to buy Jets tickets on there and you can get Jets tickets depending on how bad they are for like nothing. But you're like playing this game like week to week where like the Jets fortunes rise and fall and the ticket costs become higher and lower depending on the stakes of the game you want to go to. And so like I've been in situations where friends have been really mad at me because they're like, I can't believe you paid one hundred dollars for these fucking tickets. But it's like we just didn't know that the game would be meaningless by the time we went to it. (laughs) So it's kind of uh, the StubHub, the StubHub wave, as it were. But. I'm of the mind. I think I said it around when the consoles came out. I was very lucky to get I scored four of them, I think, because I got two for myself, one for Micah and one for my nephews. And I bought them three of them naturally, I think. And one of them, I think I got from Ben. And uh, but I did get three of them straight up Target, Walmart and Amazon. And I I think I said on the show that if worse came to worse because of the position that I'm in, I, I would have paid what was necessary, I guess, to get one. So the only good news is that they're becoming cheaper now, here's the conundrum, and I, I want to see um, what you guys think of this, but the supply issue might become unconstrained at the same time that there are actually games that people want to play on the console. And 
So it might cause a crunch again. Horizon, I think, is going to be a game that causes some sort of crunch. Gran Turismo, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see things like Grand, Grand Theft Auto and others come over that might we might even talk have already talked about it or that will come to the console that will push units as well. So even as the supplies become looser, I think it might be made worse because the demand will go up because there will be actual games. And I think as people people will become increasingly frustrated playing PS4 games on that they could be playing on PS5. I think it's going to become annoying to people. Yeah, especially when they see the load times and all the things come to bear more and more. All right. Number four, A. In news both surprising and welcome, Alan Wake is coming to PlayStation for the very first time. Word comes by way of a letter written to Alan Wake fans on the long-running fan site The Sudden Stop, where the game's writer Sam Lake wrote in part, quote, Alan Wake came out over 11 years ago, and through that time, you have told us again and again how much you love the game, the story, the characters, and the lore. And that matters a lot to us. We love this game as well. Uh, Ellipsis. The original game was only available on Xbox 360 and a few years later on PC. We are thrilled about the opportunity to bring the remastered version out for a new generation of platforms, end quote. Interestingly, Remedy isn't self-publishing this title, and Microsoft, the game's original funder and publisher, is obviously not included either. Instead, Epic Games is publishing it. Pre-announced rumors pegged the game for October 5th. However, Lake's letter didn't, doesn't confirm that, only stating that it'll launch this fall. However, this is huge news for PlayStation fans. During the Xbox 360 era, outside of Halo and Gears of War, most players would argue Alan Wake was the only other big thing PS3 didn't have. When it arrives for the first time on both PS4 and PS5 this fall, the original game will launch alongside both of its DLC packs, The Signal and The Writer, and will come with 4K resolutions on PS5. Alan Wake originally came to Xbox 360 in mid-2010 and was Remedy's first game in seven years following the launch of the second Max Payne on PS2 and Xbox. It was followed up by a downloadable game on Xbox 360 and PC, American Nightmare, in 2012, though it doesn't seem that title will be included in this package. So I want to say, before, I'm going to throw it over to Chris because I'm really eager to see what you have to say about this. Sure. I do want to say I love that they made this announcement on a fan site. I thought that that was incredibly classy, incredibly, incredibly cool to bring attention to these people that have been obsessed with Alan Wake all this time. And I think that we can read a lot into this, especially with how Microsoft's relationship with some of their old second parties works and what we can glean from that, including with Sunset Overdrive. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask Chris what you thought about Alan Wake migrating over to PlayStation for the first time. Yeah, no, I, I think this is awesome. I, I'm, I'm super pumped about this. Uh, Alan Wake is just a really, really awesome game. It's, it's. I, I remember just being completely dumbfounded that it was an Xbox game because, like, I because it just doesn't seem. I, I don't know. Xbox at the time was very like, I don't want to say like hyper masculine, but just, just like you know, like competitive, like you know, shooter you know, type. It was very oriented around that. It was like a lot of the Call of Duty DLC was on there. A lot of it was like Halo, Gears of War. Like it was a very like, you know, you know, in your face kind of environment. And then you just had this like weird, like Stephen King, like style, like like survival horror with like light and shadow. And it was like really cool. It was like really unique for the Xbox ecosystem at the time. And I'm really I'm super pumped that this is coming to like modern hardware I, I wonder how like substantial the remaster the remastering will be but like hopefully they still keep the the tone of the game intact because that, that is my old that is always like one of my main concerns whenever like i mean i mean dustin knows from like the the halo ce remaster it's like it's so easy to like completely destroy the tone of a video game just just through remastering things like incorrectly or like getting like different times of day or like it's it's you know a video game is the sum of all of its parts and like tone is like a really big part of that so hopefully they they do it well, but 
it's a stellar game and i'm excited for people who like have never played it before to play it because it really is super super cool and it's one of the reasons why i love remedy like to this day they just make such weird shit and it's always so cool what i think is neat about this as i said dustin was microsoft funded this game mm-hmm. now it's unclear what the deals were at that time although we could read into it that playstation's deals were much more overtly onerous on publishing rights than sony's were and the reason we know that is because and i've told the story before play dead originally pitched limbo to playstation and the reason it came to xbox 360 was because sony said okay we want the ip and that was always their rule and that's still their rule which is why um, one of the stories coming up is going to be an interesting one as well but with microsoft it was different and that's why i always thought that people understood that halo and gears and other games were always in some way much more open even as first party published games to eventually migrate over not at the behest of their developer but at the behest of the publisher itself microsoft and the reason i say that is because they weren't all that concerned about this happening elsewhere remember they're the ones that saw cuphead to fruition they're the ones that saw shadow complex to fruition they're the over and over and over again they did this and these were basically loan style things it seems like and i bring this up because i'm more confident than ever that sunset overdrive will probably be released on playstation in its original format at some point maybe when the time's up i mean this might have been a 10-year deal for all we know yeah and maybe sunset overdrive will be a similar deal but there's something in the paperwork with microsoft's games at this era that were not in playstations and i think that that's very interesting i also think it's very interesting for two other reasons there's long been rumored a sequel to Remi- a proper sequel to Alan Wake being in development. This mm-hmm. would make sense if they were going to want to get these out first. And the second thing is, is that this game takes place in the same universe as Control. Yeah. So you want to get that out there as well. So anyway, I've said a lot here, Dustin. What do you make of, of all of this? Whatever you want to say. I'm so excited. Alan Wake, in my memory, it's been many years, but I believe that this is my favorite Remedy game, which I was, I'm looking at their list. I think I've played almost all of the games they've put out except for Max Payne 2, which, by the way, we need a Max Payne uh, remaster along with this as well. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm so excited about this. This is a game that has been so fond in my memory uh, from playing it all those years ago. And so to see this not only just get remastered, but being brought to the PlayStation audience for the very first time is awesome. And you got to wonder what their plans are you brought up the 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 possibility of a sequel uh and also they did the alan wake expansion right for control which i never played that and i really would like to but yeah me too it's uh it's exciting this is i feel like a a classic of the xbox 360 so it's nice to see it get some shine yeah for sure and again just making the universe that they're they seem to be interested in making richer and hitting it from multiple angles, I think, is is a potential boon for a universe in a gaming ecosystem. Not to say that it's unfounded. We've seen it in everything. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's, you know, kill, kill zone spinoffs and Uncharted spinoffs and all that. It's not it's not uncommon. But I just think it's cool to have this this world, this universe in which games deal maybe even with very different things and have nothing to do with each other, but they just take place in some sort of universe. So unlike, in other words, Star Wars, where everything just seems, everyone seems to know each other and everything seems to happen for a reason and force and all, like it's just things happening. Like Alan Wake just happens and 
control just happens and quantum break. I don't know if that's in there too. Maybe it is. I have no idea. And th- and by the way, that brought into my mind too. I'm like, well, maybe that's going to get come over as well at some point. So we'll see. Yeah, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think I read somewhere that they're all technically like you could technically link all of them. Although I don't think that's like really good. Like the only one that the only ones that are confirmed to be linked are like Alan Wake and Control, which is like awesome, by the way. Like I wanted to play that DLC too, Dustin. But then like I, I went back to try and like continue and i had to like replay the whole game again i was like ah, yeah i don't know if I, I don't know if i have that energy right now but like at some point i hope to get to it because that's that's just really really awesome and alan wake is super cool and i think i think you're all gonna fucking i think you're all gonna like it if you haven't played it before it's really good i was looking i thought i was right about this the interesting thing about quantum break i was just looking up is that it's the one game sam lake didn't write which i also mm. find fascinating as well because i think he was moving from Alan Wake and then working on control during that time. All right. So we'll keep an eye out for that. And, and I'm, I'm stoked as well. I played it a little bit at IGN. In fact, IGN used to set up often people, especially when I first started working there, would set up their, their, their consoles and would have like these sessions where people would go and be able to play things that they didn't be able to try. We'd do this for game of the year and, and all of that. So that was my only experience really fucking around with it at that time. Okay. Number five, a now, Oh, Dustin, you got to make a note here. Yes. I'll make an audio note for everyone. This is a political topic. It's pretty deep political topic. I find it incredibly necessary to talk about. Um, some people might agree. I completely disagree. I think it's an incredibly important topic for us to talk about. We cannot shirk away from the serious as actually Tom at Moore's Law is Dead was the one that said it. It's like people have to grow up, be adults about the games industry. And uh, if you don't want to hear about a political topic, then you can skip forward. Dustin will take care of all of that. But 5A. An unfortunate round of serious drama was unleashed in the industry over the last week, and it all predictably has to do with social politics. The furor was unleashed when John Gibson, president of Georgia-based developer Tripwire Interactive, tweeted the following, quote, Proud of the U.S. Supreme Court affirming the Texas law banning abortion for babies with a heartbeat. As an entertainer, I don't get political often, yet with so many vocal peers on the, side, on the other side of the issue, I felt it was important to go on the record as a pro-life game developer, end quote. And from there, the floodgates were open. Only a day later, Tripwire released the following statement, which reads in part, quote, the comments given by John Gibson are of his own opinion and do not reflect those of Tripwire Interactive as a company. His comments disregarded the values of our home team, our whole team, our partners and much of our broader community. Our leadership team at Tripwire are deeply sorry and are unified in our commitment to take swift action and to foster a more positive environment. Effective immediately, John Gibson has stepped down as CEO of Tripwire Interactive. Co-founding member and current vice president Alan Wilson will take over as interim CEO and quote Tripwire is best known in the PC space for his Red Orchestra and Killing Floor series with Killing Floor 2 having launched on PS4 in 2016 and its PSVR iteration Incursion in 2017. However, it's the most recent game 2020's open world shark game Maneater that brought it serious props. The game is on both PS4 and PS5. Shipwright Studios, which helped on Maneater, released a statement noting in part quote, while your politics are your own. The moment you make them a matter of public discourse, you entangle all of those who work for and with you. We have worked closely alongside the talented and passionate developers at Tripwire and your partners for the last three plus years. We know it is difficult for employees to speak up or act out in these scenarios, and they may not feel comfortable to speak their minds. It is regrettable, but we feel at, we feel it would be doing ourselves, your employees, your partners, and the industry as a whole a disservice to allow this pattern to continue without comment. Ellipsis. We cannot in good conscience continue to work with Tripwire under the current leadership structure. We will begin the cancellation of our existing contracts effective immediately, end quote. Gibson, who co-owns the studio, will almost certainly retain his stake even as he's removed from the C-suite. This is a deep situation. 
Dustin, what, what are your, before we even get into any of the specifics, we have some inquiries from the audience. This is the thing people have wrote in most about, by the way. So I've tried to narrow it down to just a couple of inquiries. But Dustin, what, what is your take on this uh, the situation? But I, I should note at the top, when I saw this, I was like, well, this is a guy I have to speak to. And I've reached out via private channels and we're waiting to hear back. Right. It's a very complicated situation. And partially, I have a lot of questions uh, that I don't know if can be answered. And I guess let's start with that. Do you guys think that is this type of reaction based on the fact that he has come out as a pro-life developer or is it directly in relation to this bill in Texas? Um, Because I feel like this specific Texas bill has a lot of baggage attached to it, particularly when we're talking about like the, which we don't need to get into the, the super nitty gritty, but there is the, the element of like the, uh, if you know someone who had an illegal abortion, you can get awarded $10,000 or whatever. There's uh, that whole aspect, which I think is what already a lot of people don't like this bill that are pro-choice. But in addition, it's that level of, What's the word I'm even looking for? Just like the tattletale element, the people that, oh, I think I saw someone like the bounty on, mm-hmm. on people. Right. So, yeah. W- yeah. What, what did you guys think of that in particular? And then I think that can frame some other areas of the conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an, in kind of inextricably tied to the bill because it's the reason why this conversation is even happening in the way that it is. And I feel like, it's, a, it's one thing to be like, hey, I'm pro-life, but I feel like to come out with it at this specific point kind of implies support for the bill. You know what I mean? I, I think that's kind of the idea that people have. And in that sense, I guess it would make sense that people would be confused and like what like genuinely like, like what? Like why? Why even die on that hill? But also like at the same time. For me personally, I'm I'm pro-choice. I I don't understand the pro-life argument at all. But to me, it's like they're making games. Like who cares? You know, like to to I I just can't care about like what somebody's opinion is because to me, it's like I remember like I I remember when Goya. Do you remember when Goya was like we we support Trump or whatever? And I'm like, yeah. Oh man, that sucks. I don't agree with that. But like, uh, I'm Puerto Rican, so I'm gonna use Goya. Like all the time, like, dude, I, I, you think I'm not going to season my chicken with adobo just because like the president likes to like, I don't care, like, because at the end of the day, they're making something. And if the thing that they're making fulfills its purpose and it does it well, like, I don't know, like, I just find it weird that people have this weird line of like, I can only financially reward things that I am 100% on board with, because at, at a certain point. What can you buy even? You know, like who, like what companies out there are you 100% on board with? Probably none because they all do shady shit or they probably all engage in like contracts or like uh, employer practices that like you probably don't agree with. So like what, what's the line, I guess, like to me, right? It's just confusing. Well, something that I was thinking about this, like the, the whole thing from shipwright studios saying like when your politics are your own, the moment you make them a matter of public discourse, you entangle all those working for and with you. Okay. I guess my thought about this though, is that especially looking at the last four or five years, uh, we've had many CEOs make a lot of positions on 
the the left-leaning side of things. And there are probably thousands of developers that are like, yeah, I don't agree with that, but I'm just going to shut up and say nothing because I'm afraid even if I let my political feelings out that I wouldn't be accepted by anybody or even maybe even uh, fired in certain situations, right? Like, to me, it's like, okay, you don't like what he said uh, because his politics didn't align with yours. But if it was the other direction, you probably wouldn't have said anything at all, which you could make the argument that this is a much this is a bigger issue because of the topic of what he said. But to me, I'm just like, it seems a little one sided. I don't know. Do you think I'm on the right track with that, Colin? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's what people I mean, my my take is it's what people say over and over again. Why do the mistakes happen in one direction? Why do the allowances happen in one direction why do the ex, expe, you know the expectations go in one direction and the exceptions to the rule go in one direction and all the rest and i think the question you asked at the beginning is a question i asked publicly and that's how i ended up getting in touch with john gibson to begin with was i was like i am unclear if he is talking about his support of the texas bill specifically or if he's simply saying i'm pro-life and he made a massive mistake, first of all, wading into this argument at all. Yeah, it is. I'm usually not afraid of any topic and I'm not I don't think I'm afraid of this topic either. But this is an, a topic that inflames such passion uh, that it's it's almost inconceivable to some people. And, and Chris said earlier that he doesn't see or understand the pro-life argument I'm the exact opposite. I totally understand the pro-life argument. I happen to be pro-choice, though, uh, because I don't think. You can follow it to its logical conclusion. We don't have to talk about that here. Right, right. You know, but within the first trimester or something, I mean, I'm like, it's, it's fine. After that, I think it's not okay. And I think what's interesting about this is, is multiple things. Number one, that angle, because I think we need more clarification and maybe we'll never get it. But if John Gibson was talking about his support for the Texas bill, that's probably ill-conceived, but also interesting for its own reason, because the bill doesn't outlaw abortion. It outlaws abortion after six weeks, which is an absurd time. I mean, no one knows that they're pregnant after six weeks. Yeah. But the point is, is that if people were angry at him, you see where I'm going? If people are angry with him for being pro-life, as in believing that abortion is not sacrosanct, then they would be angry at him for some other opinion. And he wouldn't be showing support necessarily for this bill because this bill is only legal because of the constraints of Roe versus Wade right now. So the only reason I'm bringing all of this up is because I think the message is muddled. And I think it's clear that, in my opinion, it's not necessarily about the Texas bill, although I think people will use that as an excuse to say why they don't like him. It's about the pro-life position. And I find that so interesting because the real pro-life position is no abortion. Not six weeks. So this is all fucked up. Like, I don't really know what he's talking about, what people are upset about and all the rest. He's talking about something. People are upset about something, but I can't quite square it. You know what I mean? And so we got a, a letter here from Will Sonderreicher, who wrote in and said, hello, gentlemen. So this week, John Gibson, the president of Tripwire Interactive, stepped down after outrage ensued because he said he was pro-life and supported the new abortion law in Texas. This led to the collective meltdown from loads of games, journalists and devs. As Colin mentioned on Twitter, I can't seem to figure out if the outrage is for him being pro-life or supporting the law, as most comments by notable people are just shaming him for his pro-life views even when it's not like it's a view shared by a few. I was wondering what your thoughts on the situation were. So this is the important point that I wanted to bring up from my perspective. 
is that if he is being attacked for his pro-life viewpoint, because I agree that Texas bill is crazy for, in my opinion, for a few different reasons. Mm-hmm. Number one, like pitting people against person against person is weird. I don't like that. I don't like anything that does that. Ratting out your neighbor, giving an enticement. Even when the feds like give you like a million dollars for the top 10 or whatever, if you like, it's like that, that I'm even like, ah, do your job yourself. You don't need fucking people going out, you know, becoming bounty hunters for you. This is not the Mose Isley cantina. But <laughs> the thing about the pro-life position is, is that I grew up in a, I grew up Catholic, devoutly pro-life. You know, people are giving Joe Biden a lot of grief right now because he's pro-choice, but that doesn't really make any sense if you're Catholic. Like if you're a practicing Catholic, that that's not a Catholic doctrine. Pro-life is a Catholic doctrine. And I was reading some stuff and 47% of the United States this year identifies as pro-life. 49% identifies pro-choice. If you go overseas, go to like Ireland, where it's like maybe 80% pro-cho- pro-life. Go to Russia, where it's probably even more pro-life. A lot of Asian countries, certainly Catholic South American countries, where you're not getting open abortions in a lot of these places. Mm-hmm. Not saying you have to feel one way or the other, but what I do think is what Dustin was getting at. This is a political viewpoint held by a lot of people, a lot of people. And I found that this 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 statement from Tripwire saying the comments, quote, the comments given by John Gibson are of his own opinion and do not reflect those of Tripwire Interactive as a company. His comments disregarded the values of our whole team, our partners and much of our broader community. And I'm like, did it really? Because John Gibson co-founded the studio and owns it. So he must have been hiring, at least originally, like maybe some like minded people, people that were whatever of his persuasion. Plus, they're in Georgia. Very conservative place. So, yeah, the, I, I, I did find that kind of a flippant statement. I'm like, really? Yeah. No one but John Gibson <laughs> Tripwire Interactive believes that. Yeah, no that, one else. That can't be true. There's got to be at least right. like a few employees who are like at the very least, like a, a handful of people who like probably agree with him. My suspicion and we haven't heard from anyone at Tripwire, Chris, but. My suspicion is that he might have been comfortable saying that because he knows that most of them agree with it. And this is where things get a little dicey. And again, we just don't have the conclusive thing. What we need, and this is why I wanted to talk to him. I mean, I want to talk to him for a lot of reasons, but I just want to know. It's like, are you supporting the Texas bill or are you just being pro-life? Because then I, then we that's like a fork in the road. I don't know like where to go from here. Yeah. If we're talking about the Texas bill, I can debate that. But then again... It's not a I just think it all reduces down to an attack on being pro-life. And that's a person's prerogative. But I'm just not I'm in the real world. Personally, I like to consider myself in the real world where I know plenty of pro-life people, probably more pro-life people than pro-choice people, actually. And it's by virtue of growing up Catholic. It's by virtue of growing up in a Catholic place and all of the rest. But I just I look at it in a sense of. I found it on one hand, I find it quite quite nice that people can have this anger and this righteousness about a topic that they're really passionate about. But all these conversations seem to happen in some sort of vacuum as in as if the other side doesn't exist in any numbers or has no claim to righteousness on their own. And it's how we've removed the gray gradient from Mm -hmm. all of our conversations. And I know that's a little more philosophical than this situation might demand, but that might be the biggest takeaway for me is just why can't we just look at John Gibson, who I've never met, I've never talked to the man in my life, I've never met anyone at Tripwire, but why can't we look at this guy and be like, well, is, is he really supporting the Handmaid's Tale or is he just like a religious man with pro-life conviction? 
And I think that's just, that's like two wildly different things. And I just don't understand why we don't speak to each other a little more human. Because I don't think the pro-life position is a, like, maybe some people feel this way, but having grown up in the Catholic church and it's not, people look at it as a female control thing. And I understand that it comes off that way. And I personally, again, am pro-choice. So I would maybe make that argument with you in some cases, but I just know that it's held in a devout way that people, this is a very serious thing and in both directions and the callousness in which it's, it's brought up all the time. It just does it a disservice. It does everything a disservice. It also does pro-life gamers and pro-life developers a disservice too. Now they're just even more in the shadow, right? And I personally, I'll say decoupled from the Texas law, which is problematic in many ways. I don't think that there's anything, I don't want to use the word wrong because I don't agree with the statement, but I don't think there's anything abhorrent. I don't know how to put it. Uh, Yeah, let's say that abhorrent about being pro-life. I don't. And, and I don't judge people based on that position. That's, there, there are other positions where I'm going to judge you at this point. But that's not yeah. one of them just because I, it's like half of the world feels that way. What are we going to do with the half of the world that feels that way? You know? Yeah. There is also just a lot of like heritage that comes down to it. There's a lot of like religion and, and a lot of like things that I, I would argue are even kind of like outside of people's control that kind of get them. To th- like I, I just think it's a very like antiquated notion and I'm sure like a lot of people agree with me but like I think it's just like to me it's it really just comes down to the fact that it's like okay you have this opinion are you doing what you're supposed to do though <laughs> like are you a game dev and are you making games cool all right cool make a game you know like I just don't I don't I don't even understand why he would want to be a part of this conversation especially like especially now I really think the timing of it is insane like because I feel like if he came out I really I don't know if like the fervor would be any different. I don't know if like maybe it would be the exact same, but I really do feel like if like a year ago, like this dude had come out and been like, hey, by the way, I'm like pro-life or whatever. I don't know if it would get the same fervor that it's getting because it's happening around the same time that this bill is in conversation. Like, I really do think the bill kind of, I don't know, I don't know the word, like magnifies a lot of the, a lot of the vitriol and a lot of the passion that is currently, you know, kind of exploding on the internet right now. Because otherwise, like, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen, like, people, like, maybe they'll, maybe they'll get dunked on on Twitter, you know? Or, like, maybe they'll, like, maybe, like, somebody will, like, quote tweet them and, like, make fun of them. But I don't, I don't think it would result in this, this level of insanity. If right. not for the fact that the bill is, like, a very important topic right now and a very trending topic right now. Yeah, well, it, it, it brought up, it brought up, the passion, I mean, because it, it, it encapsulates and, and relights the passions of people. Very similar. We're recording this on the precipice of 9-11. It'll go live for everyone after 9-11, 20th anniversary. I mean, that's like talking about terrorism on 9-11, right? Like, obviously, you're going to couple these things and then you're not going to be able to separate them, even though you're talking about, in some ways, two different things, right? Yeah. And yeah, Dustin, you were saying something. No, I didn't mean well, to interrupt. I'm just I'm from his perspective. Maybe he felt like, man, I'm seeing how people are demonized for this position and I want those people to know that they're not alone. There's people like me who are the president of this company who also feel this way. That would be truly ironic because he had was, was then demonized more than 
anybody and and is now stepped down and doesn't have that that job anymore but i don't know it's like it's weird like i feel like people should be able to to step up and say something if they feel passionate about it and the, he, oh this is something i didn't bring up earlier is that you know we've all seen some pro-life people uh that i would argue go about it in completely the wrong way they they stand outside of abortion clinics they call the women murderers. They'll have like, you know, the 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 very uh they'll have photos, I'll say that, that are trying to sway people's opinion. Very not like not how you change someone's mind about something. Like he could have done and said a lot more uh, you know, horrible things. But really what he said was just like, Yep, I'm glad to see this go through and I'm pro life. Yeah. At but the end, just, like com- it, it, compared to other pro-life like people I've seen, like that was like pretty mild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is. It is the alignment thing, too, though. I, I, I do think like sometimes people will just associate like, you know, like th- this person, this person could just have an opinion. But then they're immediately like kind of like, OK, well, who else has this? Oh, the Westboro Baptist Church, you know, or like things sure. like that, where it's like they, they want the you know, you you want a baby to survive or you, you want a live baby so it can grow up so you can harass it on the street. It's like, it's like, the, that's kind of like the, the idea or the lens that a lot of people view pro-life through. It, it almost reminds me of like, even, even in just like some Middle Eastern countries where like, yeah, you know, abortion's illegal, but they'll behead you. So it's not really like, it's like this weird, like it's pro-life, but it's kind of like not. And I feel like that's like the argument that a lot of people are like the lens that a lot of people are looking at. It's like, are you really pro-life or are you just like pro-life in this specific situation, uh, in this specific instance? And, you know, it's it's a hot button issue for a good reason. But at the same time, it's like, and I, I just can't get this feeling out of my head that it's just like, just let the people do what they're trying to do. And, you know, unless it's like really insane, like they're going out. If this dude's like actually like protesting in front of like, <laughs> like abortion clinics, then this guy's an asshole. And for sure, like, no, nah. like I, I would not want to support that necessarily, but I just I feel like this is a much ado about nothing in some way it is. And in other ways, I like what Dustin brought up about, I guess, the different ways people engage with this particular topic and how much of a third rail it is protesting and showing pictures of abortions and stuff outside of a clinic is is first is protected by the First Amendment. But it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do or or a solid way to change anyone's mind. Right. (laughs) Or an an effect or an effective tool to, to affect change. And on the extremes of that would be like the even further extreme which is when abortion doctors are like murdered which is like incredibly fucking crazy right and obviously illegal and then on the other side where people feel like well they just say it in their churches or in their groups or whatever they say it and and it doesn't affect any change and and somewhere in the middle of that is i guess how people should go about this but i did want to read this this inquiry from ben williams who said hello colin dustin and the blind keeper one of the most surprising parts of the John Gibson story was multiple developers canceling contracts with Tripwire over his comments on the Texas abortion law. Are we going to see more game developers and publishers refusing to do business with one another over political issues of their senior leadership? Or will we just never again hear anyone publicly express more conservative views in the game industry? P.S. Thank you for fostering a truly welcoming community where people can have sharp disagreements about these issues and still be part of a wonderful, wonderful group. Of course, we welcome. First of all, I know we have a pro-life contingent audience and we have a pro-choice contingent. And it's totally fine. It has nothing to do with what we do. First of all, and I think you can make a moral and ethical argument for both sides. But for me, I was confused by this. But then I thought about the business 
ramifications. And then I thought, well, we actually had a similar situation at Lilimo. And we had a similar situation with PAX. It's just that we don't know what the specific political things are. Remember that we were working on a port at Lilimo for a studio that withdrew after they realized I own the team. We don't know why. And the same thing, like we said, with PAX in 2019, when we were removed for political reasons, but we just don't know why, probably because they're not non-existent political reasons. Yeah. But I think that there already is a price to pay for having some sort of conservative leaning. And I'm somewhat sympathetic to this idea of and something I've had a check where it's like what I say is going to affect other people now. It's it can't stop me from ultimately speaking and saying what I need to say, but I have to be cognizant, careful, intentional, right? Make sure that I own everything and am able to defend what I say or apologize for the things I say that are wrong. And I think that that's one thing. But for the conservative for on the conservative angle, because I, I, I am a moderate conservative, I just I want to encourage people to keep speaking their minds, but to do it in a respectful way that's most effective. I find the toxicity around political discourse in the industry disheartening and I want to try to make it better, but I don't really know how other than to invite the very people onto the show to speak about the things themselves. And that's why I hope we get John Gibson on here. But I, again, I, I don't know that you're going to see many more ramifications because I think in the real world, you'll just realize again that there's just much more gradient and there are definitely pro-life and conservative game developers. There might not be as many of them per capita as there are in the real in our, in our greater society. But that's just one thing I, I feel, you know, like when you're on Twitter and it's like, in 2016, Donald Trump would have lost 95 to five to, you know, to Hillary Clinton if Twitter was indicative of anything. And then you realize like the real world is is totally different. And I also find people's incessant goalpost moving to be quite exhausting. People voted with great glee for Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine in 2016. And um, I hate to tell everyone, but uh, Tim Kaine is vehemently pro-life. So if you check if you check the box on that ticket, you voted for a pro-life person. Mm-hmm. who was going to be one heartbeat from the presidency. And it's what I say all the time in 2008. I've always been pro-gay marriage because I feel like that is the conservative position. And by the way, I feel like being pro-choice is also the conservative position. But I've always made that argument. But it's what I said about Obama. In 2008, Obama was against gay marriage, totally against it. Right? And people voted for him. Sometimes you vote for things and you don't necessarily agree with everything or you can see one way and not the other. Yeah. I guess I'm going on, but I just... I want people to continue to be patient with each other, continue to be patient with these various topics. And my hope is that we get John Gibson on the show so we can pick it, you know, so I can pick his brain and get down to the nitty gritty. I'm not confident that's going to happen, but we definitely did touch base. Number six, a in what can only be described as surprising news. Japanese developer Q games is silently thinking about reviving forgotten PlayStation four exclusive second party game, the tomorrow children on a report from IGN's Japanese website, apparently stemming from a stream to celebrate the game's fifth anniversary. Q Games co-founder and director Dylan Cuthbert said the following in part, quote, unfortunately, right now, the IP is Sony's really. So I'll keep trying to get the IP back. And if I do get the IP back, then I'll definitely think about ways to kind of relaunch it. But without a server, I think because it was the running cost of the server that brought it down. If it didn't have that, we probably just could have left it running and people could have kept playing it. End quote. Q Games was long renowned for its extensive relationship with Sony. It's eclectic pixel junk series where some of the earliest PSN, uh, some of early PSN's best games with 2007's Racers and 2008's Monsters to 2009's Shooter and very strange, largely forgotten 4AM, which came to PS3 in 2012. However, Q Games has had a long relationship with Nintendo too. It made Nintendo DS's Star Fox Command in 2006 before it ever made a PlayStation game. 
And it's there along with Apple Arcade and phone releases as well as on Stadia that you can find them today. Indeed, Pixel Junk is one of the few examples of a Sony-funded series that it allowed its original creators to retain. And Q Games may be trying to angle for a similar deal for the Tomorrow Children. The game, which is kind of sort of a more social message-driven version of Minecraft, was beta tested and came out at cost in 2016, going free to play almost immediately. Thus, its death was sealed and it was taken offline in late 2017. I wanted to say at the very top, I, I tweeted out, I don't know if you guys saw, I was like, I was reading about Pixel Junk and I'm like, Pixel Junk 4am, I fucking forgot about that game. Game in quotes. And so I just tweeted it out and then Q Games got in touch with me and I've been talking to them behind the scenes and I'm probably going to talk to Dylan Cuthbert soon. Hmm. Uh, for Sacred Symbols Plus, I haven't spoken to him in person since uh, the last time I was at Tokyo Game Show. So probably like seven years ago. We, and it was it was for the Tomorrow Children. And I was reading about it because I'm like, you can go Google, like just Google Kyle Moriarty, Dylan Cuthbert, IGN, and you'll find it. It's like an interview I conducted with him, like eating lunch in Tokyo. And uh, that was the last time I'd ever spoken to him. So, uh, Dustin, do you have any memories of the Tomorrow Children, the kind of Soviet themed second party game that never got off the ground? Yeah, I actually think I was there when this game got announced i believe a at PSX? A, a psx yeah. yeah this game was odd because i i don't think i ever played this game but over the years since it faded away i've heard of people that are like man that game was awesome or and really liked it so it would be cool if uh if they could get the ip like what is sony realistically going to do with the tomorrow children like i don't know i just don't think i i think what on sony like for sony i think their whole thing would be like we are loath to even open this door with anyone you know? yeah and that would be i i don't know i they obviously had a different deal with pixel junk because those games there are new pixel junk games that are not on playstation so something I, so they always own that but yeah i don't know what they would lose from letting the tomorrow children go other than just sending a signal that they're open for business which i think would just be annoying to them and uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But Chris, do you have any memory of this game? Like barely. Like I, I remember seeing like snippets of it or, or or like I think like little headlines about it like a long time. But I, ne- I never clicked on it. I never knew what the hell it was. And no one I knew talked about it. So I was just like, oh, I guess it's just nothing. I had no idea that it was um, it was this weird like Soviet themed <laughs> social message thing. Like it's very yeah, weird. It's, it was weird for them, too. In fact, they built it in their own engine, which is even crazier and maybe a reason why they want to get it back as opposed to using unreal or something proprietary at sony but yeah the tomorrow children no real interest in it i didn't play it either i did play the alpha i remember and actually i I haven't looked recently but as of like last year if you go into your ps4 library and you had the alpha it's just there and you can't even do anything about which fucking infuriates the ocd inside of me uh but i'm looking forward to talking to them hopefully in the coming weeks we'll have that on sacred symbols plus we'll talk all about pixel junk and their future i'm especially interested to know if they had a falling out with playstation which i expect they did because they just disappeared yeah but like they 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 did all of these playstation games they but they might have been blamed for a bad initiative at sony because remember tomorrow children was being launched at this around the same time you know in the same year year and a half as a game like drawn to death as what was that sony san diego game that that free-to-play moba oh Ooh. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, but Kill Strain. Kill Strain. <laughs> like they were launching they were launching yeah. all of these games trying yeah. to like make some sort of wave and just none of them happened. None of it worked. Guns Up was another one. So yeah, we'll keep an eye out on on this, on the future of Q games. They're doing very well. I saw that they released a game on Stadia. They're releasing games on Apple Arcade. So they're they're well funded right now by big guns, no doubt. But I'll be interested to pick Dylan's 
brain, hopefully, and we'll see that on Sacred Symbols Plus. This is an interesting one, although there's a few things in here I wanted to get through. We can pick out what we want. Number seven, there are a few pieces of news that aren't connected at all, but require more than just the wrap up to outline. For starters, Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning, the THQ Nordic published re-release of 38 Studios and EA's hit 2012 action RPG, is getting DLC as promised. Nine years after launch, the DLC will be called Fate Sworn, and a brief Steam posting shows off some locations and other details. Though it's purportedly late in development, no further details were shared. Next up, story PC aligned franchise a storied PC aligned franchise MechWarrior is making its return to PlayStation for the first time since the early PS1 era. According to a post on the official PlayStation blog, MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries is en route imminently on September 23rd. It's coming natively to both PS4 and PS5 along with its DLC following its launch on PC in late 2019. MechWarrior, which is the gaming component of the tabletop game Battletech from the um, from the 80s, only came to PlayStation a single time. MechWarrior 2 31st Century Combat launched on PS1 in 1997, following its popular launch on PC in 1995. While Activision was the original holder of the IP, it is now held by Piranha Games, best known for their contract work. And finally, the Crisis Trilogy that was announced several months ago has a release date. The trio of games launched in 2007, 2011, and 2013, respectively, will come to PlayStation 4 on October 15th. The games can be purchased all together or a la carte, and you'll recall that the original can already be purchased on its own on PS4, having come out last year. Dustin, any thoughts on any of these announcements? Yeah, I this Mech Warrior game. I'm trying to remember if I played this. I was thinking, oh, you know what? It's Mech Assault for Xbox that I oh. played. Remember that? What happened to Mech Assault? Dude? Mech they, Assault was awesome. That was a cool game. Yeah, this is cool. I've always wanted to check out Crisis, and I never ever played it. I simply had it to boot up on new computers in that time to like test it out to see what the frames would be, but. Colin, didn't you? You had an affinity for for Crisis, like you were at least. I, did. Into... I like Crisis a lot. Yeah, yeah. The first two, I never played the third, but yeah, I platinum the first two on PlayStation Three. Yeah, I like Crisis. It will be cool for them to come back. Crytek's interesting, where I'm wondering if they're like on the verge of making a comeback. But then, as we recall, we heard that Tencent is sniffing around them and and all this. So we'll see. Mech Warrior itched something in me though, because I had Mech Warrior Two, the 31st Century Combat game. It came with my Sony Vio that I bought or that my mom bought in 1996, and I remember playing that really well. And then, of course, uh, Kingdoms of Amalur, Micah just played through the whole thing on Xbox One recently, and um, it's cool that it'll be getting DLC. I love that. It reminds me a lot of the Borderlands 2 DLC that came out yeah. to make way for Borderlands 3. Chris, anything to say about any of these announcements? No, I mean, like, the only one I really have any experience with is Crisis, and even even so, not, not the third one. I think I played, like, a little bit of Crisis 1, and I remember playing the multiplayer demo, for two when i had no money to buy games and i was like oh, let's get on the, let's get on the crisis 2 demo and play a little bit and i remember liking it i just i don't know it, this is a series that i kind of like mostly skipped out on and i am curious to check it out because it is you know it, it's not necessarily one of the it's not necessarily brought up a lot in the discussion of like you know the lineage of fps's but at the same time it, it is something that sticks around like whether it whether or not it's in that meme format or not where it's like oh can your fucking can your pc run crisis it seems like a relatively important fps in comparison to how little attention it gets so i'm, I, I'm curious to like see what it really is yeah i'll be interested to see what you think and then just a couple more wrap-ups here number eight while well, we learned that just last week Publisher Square Enix will be releasing a bunch of Final Fantasy games on PlayStation now over the coming months. We now have a better idea of what's coming to the service here in September. And by the way, I'm trying to be much more intentional about talking about PS now for the audience. 
The biggest title is no doubt Tekken 7, the fighter that came to arcades in 2015 and PlayStation 4 in 2017. Ironically, Killing Floor 2, developed by none other than the aforementioned Tripwire Interactive, is also coming in now. Killing Floor 2 is a survival FPS that came to PS4 in late 2016. Action-adventure title Windbound, which came to PS4 in 2020, is also coming to the service, as is 2018 RPG Pathfinder Kingmaker. Dungeon RPG Moonlighter, which is about playing, I think you play as a, an item store owner in a role-playing game, which came to PS4 in 2018. And of course, the original Final Fantasy VII, which came to PS1 in 1997 and found its way to PS4 in 2015. So some good stuff there. Dustin, what do you think about that tripwire being? I know, yeah. No, no wonder they were like, oh no, that's probably part of the, their pay probably comes from how much the game gets engaged too. So Oh, yeah. I didn't Not even think about that. Wasn't Killing Floor 2 also, uh, I mean, this was years ago, but a PS Plus game? At some point, it probably was. And they released it on PSVR as well. As I mentioned earlier, it's called Incursion. That's actually really fun. I played that. It's a really good FPS on PSVR. Chris, anything strike you here on the PS now? Uh, Not really. I feel like I I tried to get into Killing Floor, but it was just too. It's going to sound hilarious, but it was like it was too bloody for me. Like I just (laughs) I I literally like couldn't see anything. Like it was just like this is this is funny. Like it's it's almost like comedic. How bloody it is but but it's also like i don't know it wasn't like super satisfying for me to play can't say i'm that excited about <sighs> final fantasy I, I don't know this is this is largely a not super interesting although this I, I will say like this dungeon rpg about what is it an item store owner and, and a role-playing game that yeah, sounds yeah. awesome moonlighter but that yeah. and that to me is like the only thing that like i would I would probably check that out just because I like the I like the premise and I'm curious. I would have no idea like if I was writing that game, like I would be like, I don't know, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to make a satisfying narrative out of this. So I'm curious how they're gonna. Yeah, it's, it, as I understand it, like you play as an item store owner who at night goes into a dungeon and gets everything you need oh, to sell the, yeah, to the get the day. items. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a really cool idea. I love that. Yeah, I bought it a while ago, but I haven't played it yet. And then finally, number nine is a wrap up. The official PlayStation blog reports so-called base building action RPG Rift Breaker comes to PlayStation 5 on October 15th. An adventure game Conway disappearing into Dolly of You comes to PS4 and PS5 on November 2nd. Website Push Square reports Metal Gear inspired game Unmetal, which looks great, comes to PlayStation 4 on September 28th. And because it's, it's inspired by the original top down Metal Gear games. Simulation game Truck Driver comes to PS5 on October 21st. And Japanese PS1 uh, game Moon, which is a role playing game which came to switch in 2020 is coming to ps4 and ps5 at an undetermined point in the future website Komatsu reports squad based fps hell let loose comes to ps4 on october 5th action rpg which i know chris is excited about neptunia cross senran kagura ninja wars comes to ps4 on october 26th metroidvania title eterna noctis comes to both ps4 and ps5 on december 15th both management game football manager 2022 and fps turbo overkill oh, overskill i'm sorry comes to ps4 and ps5 at some point in 2022 and 2d action game blackbird comes to both PS4 and PS5 at an undetermined point in the future. The website also reports that action RPG, or I'm sorry, action shooter Toy Soldiers HD has been delayed and will now launch on PS4 on September 30th, while side-scroller Kojin Sword of Rewind has been delayed and will now come to PS4 early in 2022 on January 27th. And now, boys, as each episode requires, tradition dictates, we end with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience on Patreon. Patreon.com slash LastStandMedia. More than 12,000 of you support us there. Thank you. We could not do it without you. Early ad free access to our show. The ability to submit these questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. Get your name in the credits and so on and so forth. We'll start with Nathaniel. Says, hi, crew. The last two games that have heavily featured stars from the silver screen bombed critically and were mired in negative press upon release. 12 Minutes and Cyberpunk 2077. 
Do you think this will have a material effect on opportunities for collaboration between big name actors and video game creators? Or do you think not think it matters much to them because they don't seem to appreciate or enjoy video games as a pastime? A lot of assumptions here, Nathaniel. <laughs> yeah. Chris, what do you make of Nathaniel's assertion here? I, I don't think this will, this will have any effect. I think this is just the way things are going, you know, like especially as, you know, film and movies become more and more, you know, hey, put on this mocap suit. Hey, stand in front of the green screen. I feel like a lot of actors are just going to be like, oh, what's what's really the difference between being in a movie and a video game at this point? It's probably, probably very little. And especially like in, you know, pandemic times when working from home is is. Um, a little bit more commonplace and maybe actors can't necessarily get as many of the same onset jobs or, the, or as many opportunities as frequently to do things. You know, you have voice acting that's always available to you. So, like, I just think I, I don't think this matters much. Just having a few bombs doesn't really I, I don't think that translates to like, oh, I guess I shouldn't do this anymore. It's like, nah, but it's, it's not a big deal. What do you make of this, uh, Dustin? I, again, I feel like there's a lot of assumptions here. Yeah, right. Not a lot, but. I think people like Willem Dafoe, first of all, this is not Willem Dafoe's first game. No. He did Beyond Two Souls, as I recall. He was also so in the first had, Spider-Man. And, right. In Spy- so he, I read this as oh, Keanu Reeves in Cyberpunk. I read this as like the phalanx of saying like, these are the people that see games. And what, what was the, what was the chicken Beyond Two Souls? Well, oh, Ellen, transgender uh, man, uh, Ellen Page. Uh, Elliot Page. What, what, Elliot, Elliot Page. Page, yeah. That's another person that I feel like you, you, they get involved because I think they see something. I think it's quite the opposite. I don't think you're going for a paycheck because I think it's challenging. Like if you're Willem Dafoe, it's different. I mean, you're Willem Dafoe. You can do whatever you want, first of all. And you're interested in this dynamic new way to tell a tale and work in your art. So I think it's actually quite productive. But does it hurt? I don't know if it hurts because I think that people want to be involved. And like Chris said, I don't think that like one or two bombs really has any effect on it. What do you think? Right. That's exactly what I was going to argue, Colin, is that I think that I would think that our uh, actors would want to improve their skills and do new experiences, and new opportunities that might challenge them uh, and at what they're best at. Give them a new perspective on something they know very well. I, I, there's a really great behind the scenes video with Keanu Reeves talking about uh, doing stuff for cyberpunk and that's exactly what like he was like this is you know i've done one other video game and this is so cool i'm like it's a challenge it's something new for me that's the thing that i'm wondering if we'll see more actors like real like imagine man if there was a game with like leonardo dicaprio as the star i think that we don't need it like i think that we have so many great game actors but it would bring something so cool i would love that yeah. And it would say something, too, because he's so deliberate about what he does. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. No, I, I, I really do think this this is like we're only at the at the start of this thing. You know, like yeah. you're going to see more and more collaboration, especially as like, again, like the work between the two mediums begins to like blur. You know, I, I remember I can't remember who it was, but it was something about like, I, I think like a Marvel movie where like it was some actor being like it was like a really well high profile actor. You'll probably be able to find this on the Internet if, if, if I don't remember by the end of it, but it was like. Yeah, I go, I go to work uh, sometimes and I'm just like, you know, I'm in front of a green screen. It's it's kind of sad because I just like, you know, acting with people and in on sets and stuff. And this is just like really, really weird and sterile. It's just bizarre. Right. I can't remember who said it, but like it's it's just like this is becoming a lot more homogenized than I think a lot of people think it is. And 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 by the way, I think it's it's important to reassess like what 
what qualifies as a bomb? Because like, yeah, Cyberpunk has like a lot of bad press and it's like a busted game, but like, I really liked it. Like when I finished it, like, and it's, it's a pretty good video game. It's not what they promised. And it's not what a lot of people were probably hoping for, but I actually really enjoyed Cyberpunk and 12 minutes is just a, a divisive game. Like there are plenty of people who think it's great and there are plenty of people who like hate it like me. But, you know, so I, don't, I even in the context of this question, I, I don't really think there are any bombs. You know, the most questionable one I could imagine is like maybe Beyond Two Souls, because that was just like a weird one at launch. And but even that one was just mostly like a divisive one. Like we don't really have an example of like a massive critical failure, like to the point right. where it's like, you know, you could argue the way the cyberpunk's being handled is. But like the end product on like higher end machines is like perfectly like I enjoyed it. Also, Keanu Reeves, kind of Reeves. Keanu Reeves is like more of a cameo, right, or like a side quest guy. In that and, game. So it's not like he's part of the main oh, cast. Right? He's he is pretty central. He he's like pretty. Oh, is he okay? I I, I misspoke then. I I always thought that he was just like some. See, because I'm excited about further collaborations because I think that it'll bring it'll bring to bear excitement, like you said. Some people are going to step in front of a green screen. I'd probably be the same way if I were an actor and be like, I, I can't do this. I have no idea what I'm doing. But then there are probably some people that do that and they're like, this is fucking dope yeah like i can do anything i want i can interact with things that aren't there i can so i think you got to find the right minds the right kind of people that are into it and i also think it's good for their think about how keanu reeves helped himself by doing john wick by being in cyberpunk by being in the matrix yeah he's a he's got a whole different feel than if it was just bill and ted and some of the shit he did in the 90s you know point break or whatever yeah where it's, it's just a little bit of a different feel. So I think he also understands like they're going to be actors. I think Willem Dafoe is another one of those guys. And I think the reason he is, is because I think with Boondock Saints, my theory is, is that when he did that, he realized like, wow, there's a meta level of nerddom here. And then he did, you know, Spider-Man and then, he, you know, all this other stuff. And I think he just gets it. He knows what time I think. I think he, if you talk to him, he's probably a guy that knows exactly what time it is. With, yeah. With no, with, without a doubt. Yeah. Kabuto Kishi wrote into us and said, hello, sacred simple gangs. Who are some of your most exciting indie studios right now? I've really been enjoying the guys over at Dotamu for their retro styled games. Also, Sabotage Studio that made the Messenger and is making the incredible looking RPG Sea of Stars. Seems to be a solid team. Yes, Messenger was great. Sea of Stars, really excited about. I'd also like to see more teams like Chucklefish, the devs behind Wargroup. I also think that they ported, ironically, Chucklefish was the guy or the guys that ported Stardew Valley everything and i have enjoyed spearhead games stories path of destinies and omen site and they are making a cool looking rpg called witchstone gotta get better names than that hope you guys are having an incredible week and keep up the great work thank you kabuto kishi i'll answer this question first you know i was looking through my trophies as i often do as i like to regale myself nice little journal of where i've been the last few years and first of all i got to agree dotamu is a great choice although it's unclear how much they're working on the games that they're putting out and how much their collaboration. So I don't want to give them too much credit. But my mind keeps coming back over and over again to the same old, you know, any creates I still think is the greatest indie studio in the world. And their work on Bloodstained and the Bloodstained 8-bit spinoffs, the, the, the Castlevania Dracula's Curse spinoff style ones, they're just so fantastic. And I got to give a shout out to Yacht Club, although I don't know what the fuck they're doing. You know, it's been... <laughs> God, it's been like seven or eight years since Shovel Knight came out. I think it's time, guys. I know I know that the DLC you want to get. I, I just don't I don't understand their strategy with that at all. It's frustrating, especially because I, I feel like they could have extracted so much more out of it. We, put, we could have like three of them by now. 
and that would have been awesome. But nonetheless, those are the studios that came to mind for me right now. And of course, my very own studio, Lilymo Games, which is at the top of the heat. But uh, Dustin, what's what's on your mind for indie studios? I think what's cool in the indie space right now is that we have, which maybe this is ironic, but these publishers of indie games like Devolver Digital and Annapurna. Right. But what I like about that is that they, they almost feel like to me like a curator of indie games. And usually they work out really good deals where these independent studios, I, I know that they don't necessarily like take and own their IP like Devolver doesn't own the IP to a lot of the games. I don't know if it's a it's a case by case basis, but they are like it's one of those situations where if I see a Devolver game, then it's going to at least be pretty good at the very least. Right. Uh, and Annapurna also has been uh, pretty top tier, but it's um yeah, you brought up Yacht Club and that's kind of been an interesting aspect for them, too, is that they have been bringing in other developers and almost becoming a pseudo publisher of their own in uh cyber shadow mm-hmm. and we see them bringing in people for the shovel knight dig and the yeah, shovel that knight game looks puzzle. great by the way I'm, ex- I'm excited for that shovel knight dig game yeah yeah so it's it's cool to see these once smaller studios be able to rise up in order to bring up uh, a new generation of indies yeah very well said and yeah don't want to show too little patience with my boys over there at yacht club but i just think that they played it wrong if, if i'm giving mm. my honest opinion mm-hmm. i feel like a sneeze is coming Ooh, that's the worst look at him excuse me thank you <laughs> gotta remember to wash that towel i guess now yeah <laughs> so chris where's your mind at with uh indie studios again noting that there are so many great teams working out there outside of publishers and just as a quick postscript to what dustin said we're trying to do the same with lily mode trying to fund and publish a couple of indie games too so that we're not making i think that's the smart thing to do too and there's so much there's so much talent not enough money to go around of course but anyway chris talk to me a little bit about what what your experience has been in indie in the indie space yeah i I mean i got i got to agree with both you and in 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 yacht club and dotamu i think those those are really strong choices i I, like dude like cyber shadow cyber shadow cyber shadow is so good like it's unreal it's very good like it's very i gotta beat it still I see. I still haven't finished it either, but like, I, hopefully, I can get around to it. But like, it's one of those games where I'm like, I'm cruising over a couple of days, and then I stop playing, and I'm like, well, now I got to start it again. And yeah, it yeah. Just gets bumped to the back. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I I think there's not many outside of the ones that you've named that I'm currently paying attention to, but one that I, I have a soft spot for, and I've had a soft spot for for a long time, is uh, the Behemoth, uh, because they've just kept this weird kind of nostalgic flash style of of animation kind of alive through the realm of video games in a way that like, I don't think you really could like animation has evolved past that. You know, a lot of media has evolved past that, but like you could still kind of have that style in video games. And, and in fact, I think it's even more prevalent now or more not prevalent, but more iconic now because like, they're the only people really doing it. I know they're working on alien hominid invasion. I think right now, I think it's out. I think it's been a minute since I've checked up on, on that studio, but you know, Alien Hominid and like Cashel Crashers and like <laughs> Pit, Pit, Battle Block Theater and like just the, that, that style and that irreverence is like really, really fun. And it's always like whenever they come out with something new, I'm always like really curious about it. And sometimes it's weird. Like sometimes they'll make like something like Pit People that doesn't speak to me at all, but like is just like inherently interesting in the sense that the, the fact that it exists at all in the way that it exists. 
they name their games like game one, game two, game three and stuff like that. Right. Too, which I, I think in like code naming, which I love as well, as opposed to having, if I recall, like they, that's how they do it. Over yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. But I, I, I just I really like, like Behemoth. Yeah. That, I'm a little sorry. Again, it reminds me like, why wouldn't you go back to Castle Crashers? It shows a lot of restraint, I think, in some way. But I also think it's stupid. That, that's kind of where I am with the Club, where I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of restraint, but it's stupid that you didn't make a sequel yet. Yeah. Why wouldn't you make a sequel? I would be all in for a cra- uh, Castle Crashers too. That would be so. That might be a break. That might be a break glass in case of emergency. Kind <laughs> yeah, of game. Right. Like, seriously, yeah. in a studio, I feel like you might hold that shit back to be like, if we're in trouble, Castle Crashers, Castle Crashers too, break the glass. Yeah, probably something to that as well. Okay, thank you for writing in Kabuto, Kabuto Kishi. Shad Vegas wrote into us and said, what's up, CDC? I've been judging Colin for not beating Cuphead yet, but unfortunately, I've had to wave the white flag on Hollow Knight. I believe all of you guys have finished it. So my question is this. What is it about certain games that has made us accept temporary defeat? Are there any other games that you feel like you should have no problem finishing, but simply cannot get good at? Thanks for being awesome and helping make my long commute more enjoyable. Thank you, Shad Vegas, for writing in and for your judgment. I can feel it. So the reason that I haven't, I don't think, gotten too deep into, well, I've gotten very deep into Cuphead, but let me back up and say this about Hollow Knight which is a great game. Absolutely great game. When you have a game like Hollow Knight where you can kind of control how strong you are and you can kind of control the variables in such a degree that they go in your favor, even if you can't do something to the entirety of making it easy, that makes me feel like I can get over a barrier and usually do in a game. The reason Cuphead is so intimidating to me, especially late in the game, is that there's just nothing you can do. Like, you have to just go in with just raw skill. Yeah. And... Nothing else that you do matters. There's no grinding levels. There's no getting seven heart pieces and the stronger attack. And it's there's just nothing like that. Mm -hmm. It's just you're kind of just going to deal with it. They have some like modifications, some relics or whatever, but they're actually quite useless. A lot of them, you know, and I always get mad at that when a game size I've I've opined many times when a game doesn't have a satisfying upgrade skill for me, upgrade tree. So that's what makes a game like Cuphead so intimidating is I'm like, I can't do very much to this game to make it easier. So I know that I just have to sit here and really play it. And I'm going to fucking kill myself if I have to do that at this point <laughs> in my life. So that's so that is the that is the example, the glowing example of I'm like, this game has conquered me because I and I won't even try because I just know the frustration I got just getting to the third world. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to I can't do this to myself anymore. So that's where I stand. Chris, what do you feel about Shad Vegas? Um, why is he having trouble with Hollow Knight? And have you experienced any similar trouble? I, I doubt you have. Uh, no, I'm I'm perfect at everything, you know, yeah, so that's right. I, I've never. <laughs> no, honestly, like to be real, like I, I cannot do Dark Souls like any of them. Like I, I cannot. It's something about it. I don't know if I maybe just don't have the patience. I don't know if something about. And I, I've spoken, I think I talked to uh, Dustin and some other people like while we were like in Pennsylvania doing the show at some point, like, but there's something about the fact that I'm stapled to the ground in those games. Like I just, I don't have the freedom to jump or like, I just don't have any verticality that just gets in my head in such a weird way because jumping is such a fundamental to video games. Like ever since Mario, like you can jump, you know, and there are like strategy games and like, you know, like turn-based and I get it. Like where it just wouldn't make any sense or it wouldn't be advantageous, but in a game where I'm like controlling my character, like, I feel like I should be able to jump always. And it's just like, ah, I just, if I could jump, I could beat this guy. You know, it's, it's always what I'm thinking. And I just, I, I can't, I can't do it. And uh, totally. it's a little frustrating 
but I've just, I don't know. Those are the games that have, and that's not really a unique answer. I'm sure Dark, Dark Souls is like probably a lot of people's answers for this. Like, I can't do it, but yeah. I, I well, well, I think any answer you give is going to be particularly interesting because you're, you're usually quite adept. So yeah, people would be interested. Except, that. except for those. I'm in, in those games, I'm inept, like completely. Like I can't do it. I, I, I feel like it's also interesting because I'm a, I'm a jumper. I'm a chronic jumper in games too. Yeah. I love jumping. You know when you like in a 2D side scroller when you're making like making these crazy jumps and you're jumping around and then you nail the jump but you can't stop moving and so you jump off the thing like you've landed the jump and you're like <laughs> yeah, yeah I do that to myself all the time like in Mega Man or Castlevania <laughs> when I'm like real like jittery no, and totally. you're, like, you nail it and then but you can't stop moving and you just walk off the cliff or something. Uh, Dustin, what comes to mind for you in this regard? Yeah, I'm trying to think. It, it's cool like playing Dark Souls games has changed the way I, I think about a lot of games and that. I probably to an unhealthy amount. I'm like, well, I can beat anything depending on how much I'm willing to beat my head against the wall trying to do it. Right. So it's, uh, I'm trying to think of games. Like I think I dropped hotline Miami two because I was getting really frustrated with it because hotline Miami two, I think made some mistakes with how like the level size and stuff like that. But hollow Knight, I actually never finished. I want to go back to it. My, frustration is i would i would kept getting lost i didn't know where to go yeah that was that was my thing too like in, in a lot of metroidvanias that's like kind of my deal like it, well not a lot but like some of them are just like designed in such a way where like i, ju- I just lose track of where i am and it's that's right. one of them where like i just it sucks yeah as far as what he says here just to to cap this off where he says what about certain games that made us accept temporary defeat and this is what I think is so essential about the games that are truly hard by difficulty and by skill is that they have to be fair. Like when you die in Dark Souls uh, or you die in Sekiro or whatever or many other games, uh, they're not the only ones games to do this is that it's it has to feel like it's purely your fault and not the game's fault uh, or else you're going to want to give up because it's yeah. out of your control if you lose. But if the loss is on you, at least in my opinion, I'm like, okay, well, problems with me. I got to work that out and grind through it. So it's essential yeah. for these types of games. Josh Rockstar wrote into it. Sounds like a porn name. I like that mm. a lot. Strong <laughs> porn name. It says, what's going on, Sacred Crew? There's a really funny Parappa meme going around Twitter with Parappa and Batman. Not only is it hilarious, but it got me thinking, what if Parappa returned and just got his eight mile on with a bunch of other PlayStation characters? Like he could rap about slaying Greek gods with Kratos or have an epic rap battle against Colonel Raddick from Killzone. We have been so into multiverse things lately. Why not have Parappa drop into another character's world and see what Aloy looks like in 2D and if Jin Sakai can spit some sick rhymes. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. And remember, you got to believe you got to do what uh, I loved this idea when I was reading it, Josh, because we're trying to th- we were remember we were talking a week or two ago about how we can have PlayStation all stars like experiences outside of fighting and like what would be a unique way to do it and how Nintendo does that so well with like tennis and golf and Mario Party and all that. And this is a really actually a wonderful idea of PlayStation rap battles, right? Like hosted by Parappa and in that 2D paper style. I actually really love this idea. Chris, what do you think? I think it's I think it's very endearing. I think it's very cute. But this would be a disaster. <laughs> this is I feel like there's no way this could turn out because first of all, like it would have to be 
this is this is in the context of like a video game, right? Like this is like a, a like a rap battle, like Parappa the Rapper style, right? Game, like it would right? be like yeah, like a Parappa the Rapper, a new Parappa game. Perhaps. Yeah. the The issue I feel like is with like Mario Tennis and, and and golf and even Smash. You know, there's a level of dynamicness to those experiences that I don't think you can really have with a game that's pretty much all predicated on pre written lyrics and and sort of like it'd be a fun like novelty idea like i think it should be like maybe if there is some kind of multiverse um sort of like you know collaboration game with within sony's first party it would be a cool like kind of like mini game or like kind of like in the same way that like subspace emissary and like in like uh, smash brothers brawl was like this weird like story mode that like kind of didn't really matter because like you're there to play smash brothers it would be cool to have that as like an extra thing, but like by itself, like you'd get like maybe like a day of playtime out of that, like max, because you by the end of the day, you've seen all the combinations of lyrics that you could possibly have. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Proper although, the Rapper is definitely like a game that's like very of its time. It's kind of like Vibribin, although Vibribin, I think, would probably hold up a little bit better. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a fun idea, though. Like, I would like to see that exist. I, I would just hope that it would be part of like a, a broader package thing. I guess to me, I hear what you're saying, but I would argue Parappa the Rapper. And that is because you like you're saying it is a game of its time. Like I remember getting it for Christmas in 1997 and being done with it like the day I got it. Yeah, because it's five stages or something. And once you figure it out, it's over. So it would have to be something. And the, the Parappa the Rapper, too, I thought was pretty bad. Actually, I was really disappointed with that game. But it was something clever. What, what do you think, Dustin? Should they should Sony embrace the meta, the multiverse? And if they're going to, is this a way in? It could be. You know, I think Chris is right, though. I mean, as much as I would like to see certain characters rapping at the at the other points, like it's when they put Master Chief in Fortnite and you see him dabbing. You're like, what have they done to my boy? You know, like we don't <laughs> I don't want to see Kratos uh, rapping personally. But but in, the, in but I'm saying like in the paper, like cut out kind of like, yeah, that the, like that's what I'm saying. It's not going to be Kratos like. Yeah, it'll be like some yeah, sort like of 4K, like rendered Kratos. Right. Like, exactly. Alongside, like, oh, man, that'd be awesome. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think <laughs> like similar to like how I think Aloy in Genshin Impact actually looks great. Yeah. Like, she looks like she belongs there. Yeah. You could, you could figure it like out. Like ad- adapted yeah. to the style. I, I just think right. the issue comes in the amount of content or, or the amount of entertainment that anybody would be able to get out of it for a long period yeah. of time. Like the game's not going to trend. Nobody's going to be streaming it on Twitch really after like the day. You'd have to have like. 2000 stages to get like any number of like variety in there and I, I think it's cute i think it's cool but like you know i think ultimately i don't know I, <laughs> maybe maybe the idea of rap battles are destroyed for me because i just like i saw space jam 2 recently and there's this oh, really no. awful just abysmal painful like deluge of insulting stimuli that just like overcomes you when you see daffy or porky pig saying like he's like notorious pig it's just like Ugh. painful like that's horrible yeah it's searing like well and I, I love the way you're describing it very vivid thank you uh, illustration dustin are you uh you have anything else to say no uh i was an um jammer and lammy kid growing yeah, up over game. parappa so maybe that's we a can, good game we can bring her in the mix i'd like that yeah, that would be cool same style Obviously, Same style. Playing yeah. the guitar instead of singing or rapping. All right, Josh, they hate the idea. I like it, though. Thanks for writing in. <laughs> Tommy Murphy wrote in and said, Dia Dweet, gentlemen, I think that's, I'm probably butchered it, but I think that's Gaelic. 
First time, long time. I'll aim this mainly at Colin and we'll try to keep it relatively short. We can all chime in if we'd like, but with the recent releases of classic Konami games as collections such as Contra and Castlevania, do you ever think we will see a re-release of some of their classic RPGs as collections? I would love to see Suikoden, uh, Azure Dreams, and Vandal Hearts come out with trophy support. I know it's probably just a pipe dream, but with recent Konami shop updating their Suikoden clothing line, a man can only hope. Also, I'd love to know if you have played the Vandal Hearts games. In a way, they remind me of the song and uh, song of uh, the song of Fire and Ice books. I'm sorry, in the guise of a '90s turn-based strategy, politically violent, mature for the time, and very underrated in my opinion. I did indeed, and in fact, we brought up Vandal Hearts maybe a month ago because there's a strategy sequel on PS3 that seldom was seldom played but it was there a psn exclusive i love this idea konami has been pretty in touch with their old games going way back we we sometimes bring up remember when psycho mantis reads your memory card in the original metal gear he reads the games that are on your memory card if they're konami games so he'll be like you love castlevania yeah. Azure dreams he would say shit like that and it was cool and i remember being like so surprised because those were the two games i have which is why i was uh, on my memory card at the time which is why it, <laughs> it sticks to me so it seems like Konami's trying to wrap its mind around what it has. Some of its games are also very big, like Bomberman, the new Bomberman R or whatever, has been silently huge, sold like millions of copies. And so they have that. And then they do have the collections. They Requiem, the 8-bit collection for Castlevania Contra collection. And then they're also releasing like one-off new games sometimes, like Metal Gear Rise, or not Rising, but Metal Gear, Survive. what was that one? Survive, right? And then they released the next year, the Contra 3D Shooter, twin oh, stick shooter yeah, yeah. so they're starting to experiment with that they have the castlevania anime going and i'm sure more to come and we might be p talking way out of turn because we might see konami have seen konami at the show yeah yeah maybe yeah. so we're talking from a different perspective too but i feel like it's possible and i would love to see that i'm a big fan of azure dreams that was the very first time i had ever played a roguelike game and i was a huge fan of the sweetening games too and the only my only regret was not a huge fan but i was a fan of them my only regret is that is selling them because they're so valuable i think especially Suikoden 2 is like one of those games, but do either of you have anything to say about this, Chris? Do you anything to comment on with Konami? I, I can't say that I have too much to say. Yeah, I'm not Dustin. super familiar with Azure Dreams. Yeah, I, I've never played Azure Dreams ever, uh, but I'm thinking, you know, now's the time. There's been so many rumblings for so many years. I, I think I feel like we're speaking, uh, you know, too late, too, too soon. I don't know how it works with time, but. I God, I would. I'm gonna shit, dude. If I, I, I was telling Micah like a few weeks ago because I was playing something about Konami, from, by Konami, where it, it's not the red Konami logo, but you know the old Konami logo where the, it, like comes up. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sound, and I'm like, yeah. if that shows up, like before they should, you know, where it feels like that, and then like the Sony logo, and it's like something they did together, I'd be like, wow, yeah, pretty cool. You play Leisure Suit Larry, don't you? You play Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, finally. Oh, by the way, Azure Dreams, just great memory. People like these little memories. That was a blockbuster game for me. And you used to be able to rent games for $5 for a week. I don't know if you guys remember. I think it was like maybe a summer promotion. Mm -hmm. And I used to just slap my $5 like every every week in there, like onto the counter. And just take, I don't know why I just didn't buy it. I think I did later. Mr. M has the final one. This is an easy light one for us. Hello, all 4K 60 frames or 1080, 120 frames. Happy Friday. Dustin, what do you think? I think Chris and I are going to have the exact same answer. Let's see. For single player experiences, 4K60. Multiplayer, where you need as much uh, feedback as you can get, 1080p, 120. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yep. it's yeah. the same, same exact. That's the way to go. I have no multiplayer preference, although 
I was one of those people that doubted 60 frame, the, the efficacy of 60 frames. So I don't want to be a doubter again for 120 frames, but I'm starting to wonder if you, your eye would even be able to see. Yeah. Starting to get into the 100 frames. You, you can see. It's definitely less. Like going from 30 to 60 is far more substantial than 60 to 120, um, which is funny because it's like double. But, you know, it's useful in multiplayer. I, I can't say that it's as useful. Like, again, like it, it's it's nice to have those extra frames and they do make a difference. But I, I would be happy with 60 in multiplayer as well. But like 120 is definitely going to give you like that slight edge. And it is also just like a little bit cleaner and a little bit crisper. And it just looks really nice, it's, especially when like uh, when you slow down that footage, it looks gorgeous because there's just so much more information that's being rendered at any given second that it just it makes everything look so smooth and 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 slick but i will always err on the side of frame rate over resolution i I could do 10 a 1080 120 for everything honestly like it's just like 1080 to me is is fine especially on the monitors that i use where like people have 4k monitors and it's just like i don't know really if i'm getting much out of out of this just based on like screen density or like pixel density but frame rate is super important even in single player to me like i just i can't i like actually i was playing destiny 2 with some friends of mine yesterday and it wasn't running super well on my laptop i i got it running well after but i was like i'll just play it on my base ps4 and my christ it is it is hard to play that game at 30 frames now like it it looks it looks like a disaster yeah at 30 frames when i'm so used to 60 so it's just transformative man I'm very happy at 4K 60, personally. Yeah, me too. Now, I don't play the multiplayer games. It's also so interesting how we perceive film and, or TV and games differently because when you see a movie running at 60 frames, or like when The Hobbit, like when you saw footage of that and it was overcranked, oh, like yeah, it was you like, could tell it was, immediately. It didn't look right. It was like right? 48 frames, too. So it was, oh, 48 frames. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Way, and it was like, this doesn't look right at all. But they, I guess they did it for that ethereal kind of feel that it gives. And it's funny that in games, we just demand so much more fidelity to make it work when in real life, like, I wonder what the frame rate of our vision of, is. Of real life? <laughs> yeah, like, like if I'm moving my arm in front of my face. Like, what am I seeing that at? That's a, you know? that's a very high uh, conversation. That's like two hours. <laughs> that would be like a two-hour Lex Friedman podcast, probably. So. Yeah, what what frame rate is the world? Yeah, like, what frame rate is reality? That would He would lose yeah. his, his mind thinking of that. But um, All right, so at this point, we're done recording the show for now. We're going to say goodbye, but we actually aren't done. The show is going to start in a few minutes. We're going to go watch, and then we'll return, record, and put it up in the forward so let's say goodbye now thank you so much for your love kindness and support of all things last stand media and sacred symbols please support us on patreon leave nice reviews on itunes and elsewhere subscribe there go on youtube thumb up videos be nice to yourself for god's sake be nice to yourself chris do you have any closing comments uh not really i mean i mean you know we're, we're about to we're cutting down to the, the wire here for this for the showcase but you know, I just want to say, like, uh, thanks to everybody who showed up to the live event. Like, it was, it really is something. I'm going to remember this for a really, really long time. And it was really cool meeting all you guys. And you were all super cool and really respectful. And uh, it's a really positive experience. And I hope to do it again soon. Yeah, very well said. How about you, Dustin? Yeah, same. That's, I was just thinking, like, it was uh, one of the most, like, incredible weekends of my life. And I'm hope hopefully, uh, I feel like you guys feel the same way, which is awesome that we had this shared experience so thanks everybody for coming uh and hanging out with us for five hours on yeah. sunday that was that i didn't was even realize people were like thank you so much for waiting and i'm like i'll wait here all day like because we were supposed to do it for three hours and it took five and i'm like 
we're here for you. And I told the guys afterwards, I was thanking them for their time and stuff. And I'm like, this is the way also you make fans for life. Like, yeah, give them time. Talk to them like people like treat treat people well, like you want to be treated. And it works. And so I'm glad people came to and, and we will do more. And as I said earlier, it was a bit of a transformative thing for my mind uh, and my mind state. So thank you again for that. Uh, we're going to skedaddle and uh, we'll see you next time. Although technically we'll see you earlier, but you had already seen it. So it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to stop confusing you until next time. Goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Tom Quinn, Henry Groth, Joshua, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Graham Plays, Christian Rodriguez, Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen, Rui, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Isabella Hope, Top G82, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Halsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob, 56, William Holbert, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Silvinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Keegs, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Antti Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Evan Dalton, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Jay, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Brody Rainey, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lewin Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinsler III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David Mann, Petro Rose, Lockmort, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondhaliker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Codero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Carper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app 
or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.